This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What's up, motherfuckers? How are you doing? Jacob Johnson here, back at you. Another week, another episode of Victory Motherfucking Drive. This week, we have a very special guest with you. I know I say that every week, but every guest is very special to me because they decided to jump on and talk to me and give me some of their time and also give you some of their time. So this week we have on Adam Lampson. He is one of the hosts of StaggerCast and he runs uh, StaggerGear.com. They have a bunch of gear made specifically for guys in the Northeast that are trying to track down big fat booty bucks in the Northeast area. Um, some might call it the New England area, um, Vermont, Maine, New York, that kind of stuff. Adirondacks, whatever else mountains are in Vermont. I don't know. I'm not a geologist, but he was a fucking great guy. And then he came on and uh, divulged some of his knowledge from the Northeast in tracking bucks. And it was pretty cool. That's been a. That has been a big bucket list item for me to do someday is head up northeast and just get on a big fat fucking track and uh, walk until I shoot him. So that's what he does all the time up there. And that's what they all do up there quite a bit. Um, they, like I said, they just uh, love walking around hills and mountains and uh, shooting big fat butt booty bucks. So, uh, you know, if you guys are at all interested in the Northeast area and uh, kind of how they hunt and the different tactics that go into being successful in that area. I found it very inter interesting and very entertaining. Um, they're just a different kind of different breed up there. They uh, here in the Midwest, we like to sit in tree stands or walk through wood lots and push deer out, but they really like to just get behind them, walk them down until they're, they find them either bedded or, with a move or something and uh you know shoot him in the chest with a 30 out six generally a pump action 30 out six like a remington 7d6 
hundred. That's one thing they really love using up there. And that's been a, honestly, it's a pretty fucking cool gun. So, uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoy this episode with Adam Lampson from Stagger Gear and Stagger Cast. Oh, and I didn't mention, if you didn't pick it up, if your brain's moving a little slow because it's 5 in the morning, you're one of the fucking hardcores that decided to listen to this fucking show at 5 in the fucking morning. If you're one of those guys and your brain wasn't really all jazzed up from the caffeine you just ingested, then StaggerCast is a podcast that... Adam Lampson runs up in uh, Vermont area, and uh, they, that's what they all talk about. He has like Lanny Benoit, like the Benoit guys. He's fucking tight with them, I guess, and uh, they're just fucking legends in the in the game. They've been put. They put out a bunch of videos called I think it was called the Benoit Way, and they that they really 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 popularized uh, uh, big booty buck tracking. And they like to find those big fat hooves and walk them, walk them down. That's what they they popularized that um, style of hunting, and uh, it's still super popular today. And I think I don't know if I'm 100 percent correct on this, but I'm pretty sure they also popularized the green and black checkered jacket, and that is one item in on staggeredgear.com is a fucking big buck tracking ass jacket. And it looks pretty sick. I'm not going to lie. It's fucking pretty badass. Um, let me look at it and tell you price real quick. There it is. Tracker's jacket. 200 bucks. Um, other companies make jackets like that. But uh, I'm theirs, theirs specifically is really high quality wool. It's a super fucking nice, really nice looking jacket. And if you like that traditional uh, black and green checkered look like i do i think it's badass um check it out because they make a fucking badass tracking jacket they also have some cool um blaze orange stuff and merino wool stuff like their gloves look pretty sick they also have under undergarments um base layers is what i'm trying to say they also have some really nice looking merino base layers uh so if you're bored looking around for good base layers you can check them out as well um but man they are uh, like I said, Alan Lanson, great A human being. Uh, glad to have him on and talk about uh, how they do things up there. And, um, man, uh, I've been rambling for a little bit. I need to wet the whistle real quick. Yep, so here I am. Back at it again. Um, wet the whistle. Now we got to talk about motherfucking grizzly coolers. Uh, I talk about them every week. Why? Because they're awesome. Also why there's the title sponsor of the show. Also why the dudes that work there are fucking awesome. Like they're just great A human beings. They're outdoorsmen just like you and me. They really put their heart and soul into making fucking sweet coolers. So uh, let's just get this dive into one. Let's just go through the website real quick and pick down the Grizzly 60. Let's check that one out. $339.99. But you can get some money off if you use code WCB. That's right. WCB gives you some money off. And no, that doesn't stand for Victory Drive. If you can't fucking pay attention, that's not anything. Like like Victory Drive, there's no letter that is similar to VD. But it is correlates to World Class Bowhunter, which is the mothership. Like they're the fucking they're the they're the dudes. Uh, Kurt and the gang over there, they gave us a sweet uh, discount code off. 
So 15% off of $339.99, I don't know. I'm not a mathematician. But you look it up, and you do the math, because I can't do everything fucking for you. So look it up. Grizzly 60. Uh, let's go let's see. What's the description of Grizzly 60? It says, consider Grizzly 60 the perfect cooler to accompany you and your crew on a week's worth of epic outdoor adventure. Leave no snack behind when you're working with 60 quarts of space for food, drinks, and ice. The Grizzly 60 is roto-tough, like all of our hardside coolers, and loaded with some awesome features. Let the G60 do the work of keeping your goods fresh and cold as you and the crew enjoy the adventure. So that's their description, uh, not mine. Mine would have been way cooler than that if I would have wrote it, but I didn't. So that's what you get. Um, like I said, roto molded, hard side cooler, super fucking tough, grizzly tough. Actually, it will keep a grizzly bear away. And if it doesn't, then they will give you a new cooler full of Skittles. I swear. I, I mean, that says it right here. If your grizzly cooler gets broken into by a grizzly bear and they tear into it and eat all of your food, then grizzly coolers will give you a new cooler full of skittles that's crazy that's a that's a crazy uh they stand behind their products guys um also don't quote me on any of that they actually never told me that but if my grizzly cooler does get broken in by a grizzly bear i would like to think that grizzly coolers would give me a new cooler full of skittles so take or leave it love you guys hope you enjoyed the episode and enjoyed the ramblings that i give you uh pre pre episode so let me know how you guys like it, and if you're bored, you can also check out Mountain Ops. Use code VICTORY at checkout, and you can get some money off there. They make some good shit as well. And also, double also, go to workingclassbowhunter.com slash store and check out the merch there. Scroll probably all the way down to the fucking bottom, and you'll see some Victory Drive merch in there. Yes, guys, we have some merch of our own. Get yourself a badass shirt, black shirt, VD in the front. Looks sick. It's very similar to the Hunter's Box Club um, shirt that went out, but instead of green and black, it's black and white. I don't know. Um, I like black shirts. I was a metal head growing up, hardcore kid, and band shirts are always black. I just like black shirts. So we made some black shirts for you. Check them out, support the brand, and uh, see what you can get there at the workingclassbowhunter.com slash store. Um, I think that's about it. So, love you guys, and hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, goodbye. Jacob. Hey, Jacob. It's Adam. How's it going? Hey, good, man. How are you doing? Doing good. Glad to be here. Yeah, <laughs> cool. I'm glad I got you on, man. This is awesome. 
No, I no, appreciate you having yeah. me on. Uh, where are you guys out of? You're out of where? I'm out of Iowa. Iowa. Yeah. Gotcha. I yep. got to get out there one day. Yeah, <laughs> one day. Yeah. <laughs> that's what a lot of people say. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. But yeah. Especially if you're a whitetail hunter. But mm-hmm. I live in I live in a weird area. My my area of Iowa is kind of it's not like known as the quote unquote Iowa hunting that everyone thinks of when they hear yeah. Iowa. But so I still have to yep. travel quite a ways in order to you know hunt the way I want to hunt. I guess, but yeah, it's still pretty. It's still pretty nice. Yeah. But if you're not a deer hunter, then Iowa is kind of boring. Yeah, I say there's not a whole lot else going on, is there? No, it's I've never been out it. to Iowa, so. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 got its uh its own beauty, but it's also kind of boring. Yeah, featureless <laughs> type of stuff. Yeah, I yeah, got you there. Yep. Yep. And uh, Sweet. where where are you at then? I know you're like northeast, but like you specifically. Yep, uh, central Vermont. Okay. Waterbury, Vermont. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I started listening to you guys, um, your podcast and stuff. Oh, yep. Yeah, one of my listeners, he messaged me like, hey, you need to get a hold of the guys from Stagger. I'm like, okay. So I started looking <laughs> into it. I'm like, oh, yeah, Northeast fucking Big Woods hunting. That's cool. Yeah, it's fun. So, yeah. Who is, the, who is the listener? Austin Wheeler. Hmm. Not sure. Does ring a bell. Yeah. I know he uh, commented on one of your guys' giveaways. He's like... Oh, on. did he? Yeah, okay. he put me on there too. I'm like, oh yeah, cool. Sweet. But, yeah, it's just me tonight. I tried to get Greg to hop on with us, but he had something going on tonight. I think he had a wake or something to go to for his on or something. But oh shit, I'll uh, I'll uh, do what I can do. Yeah, talk, dude. Talk some deer hunt. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I appreciate it. Um, have you listened to my podcast at all? I haven't yet. Okay, no. so I guess I uh, just from when we first started talking how are you how yeah. are you with like swearing because i don't really censor myself uh, a whole lot i try so. not to, yeah no i mean we kind of in the podcast just speak our minds but we i mean we try to avoid you know just blatant all-out swearing but i mean yeah. shit happens oh there you go yeah <laughs> <laughs> throw a word in here and there um are you is that fine yeah or no it's 100 percent fine it's just yeah i know some people like, they've asked me that too and i kind of started asking other people because i don't want to be swearing up a storm if you know, yeah, they're no, like no, Mormons or something, or they, they hate swearing, no. you know, I don't want to offend anyone either. So, but yeah, all the, yeah, no, all the podcast listeners that like from my end, like they get it. So yeah. 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 Same with us here. Yep. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> have you, have you heard of working class, working class bow hunter podcast? Yeah. So you're part of that like network, yeah. right? Yep. 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 So <laughs> I pretty much picked up like the firearms <laughs> side of it. Cause I was talking to Kurt. I've been listening to them for a while and um met kurt and the guys a few years back and started talking with him some more he's like hey would you want to do like a farms podcast for us someday and i said sure so mm-hmm. yeah here we are so awesome how's it been going so far good yeah it's been good. going going real good Sweet. you know just kind of getting started i'm only 30 episodes in now so yep but are you weekly or bi-weekly or what do you do weekly typically Weekly, yep, gotcha. Yep, yeah, weekly. that's a grind, man. Weekly's a grind. We try to kind of, we started out bi-weekly, and then uh, after that, we're, we did like a year of that, and we're like, let's just record them, kind of not put like a pressure on ourselves, and just put them out, and we put them out, and that's been working good for us, which we we like. But yeah, that weekly stuff is a grind. I feel you there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I did a podcast before. It was just me, my brother, and uh, one of our other friends, and it was just like, it was a political podcast. And mm. we did it weekly too, but it's just us. It's just us three, like, kind of talking shit. 
yep. around a table so for the most part. So it's been different just being by myself, I guess, doing it and, yep. you know, trying to line up, you know, guests and all that stuff and mm-hmm. everything else. It is, it gets pretty grindy. And then my brother, he did all the editing and all that shit. So I just kind of came in and recorded then left and I was like, yeah, yeah. it's pretty easy. You know, but now that I'm yeah. the sole producer and doing everything, it's like, yeah, it is, it gets, it is, uh, it has its moments where I'm like, oh man, I'm kind of biting my nails. I'm like, who am I going to have on this week? So yeah, I'll call yeah there's in, a lot to it. Yeah. I'll call in reinforcements and just get something out. But, <laughs> but yeah, got, so you said you had a political podcast back in the day. Yeah. You know, nice. that got sweet. That got a little too dark. Did it? <laughs> yeah. Once you start pretty much devoting a lot of your time into politics and, all that stuff and just kind of trying to dissect and understand what they're doing. It's like, man, this sucks. Yeah. Yeah. There's <laughs> a lot of, a lot of fucked up shit out there. Politics are fucked up. So I believe it is, dude. It is. Once uh, you start realizing nowadays. Yeah. I mean, everyone knows that like, politicians are, you know, for the most part corrupt and fucked up. But oh yeah. When you really start digging in, you're like, how is this, how are they getting away with this stuff? This is crazy. Mm-hmm. And then also realizing there's really nothing that you can do about it. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to devote any more of my time doing this. This sucks. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, those people on like Fox News and CNN just doing that for a career all the time. Oh, you got to be a tough, it's, you just got to be a negative fucking person all the time. I think if you're doing that for a job. Yeah. As far as like newscasting on that shit. Right. Oh. And then you have your own opinions and like in those big networks, you know, they're not really speaking their true opinions the whole time so like they're getting censored and being told that you can't quite say that dude you know so it's Mm -hmm. like no thanks no thanks but yeah so uh i guess i already started recording just because i wanted to see if i put a new sd card in i wanted to make sure it wasn't going to do anything weird my last sd card i started getting like writer write errors and stuff on it Mm -hmm. what do you run for like a uh little uh the helmet, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, interface there. Do you just use like a zoom thing? Yep, yeah, I just got yep. a zoom pod track P4. Yep, yeah, that's what we use too. Nice and simple. Yeah, that's actually what I'm talking to you on right now. I popped a headset on and then plugged the phone in. So, yeah, is this clear? Does it sound clear? Oh, yeah, it sounds perfect. Honestly, it's okay, perfect. Really, really good. I want to make sure we did a podcast with a dude up in Canada last week, and that was the audio was rough on that. I had to use, do you use Descript at all? You ever heard of that? Uh, no. So that they like uh, take the voice and they can like tweak it to make it sound more like the person. It's pretty crazy. It's like some AI stuff and it cleans up audio like crazy. Really? And, uh, we had to do that for that one. Yeah. So, I mean, you can still tell with that one we did um, that it is over the phone, but compared to the raw audio, it's, it's so much better. But yeah, it's called Descript and uh, you can go in there, you plop your your audio in there and then you put, you check a button like studio sound and it cleans it all up. And then if it's still rough, what you have the guests do is record themselves talking for like a few minutes and then you upload that to the software and it creates an AI voice that sounds just like them and it just copies, lays over their words and it sounds like they're right there next to you. It's pretty crazy. Dude, that is, that is wild. That's almost too yeah. crazy, dude. It's like 30 bucks a month, but <laughs> really? worth it if you're doing them over the phone. Yeah. I mean, the vast majority of mine have been over the phone. Actually, I shouldn't say mm-hmm. the vast majority. I've had quite a few in studio, which is nice. But uh, a lot of them are over the phone, and yep. I've been kind of raw dogging on that one. So yeah, you know, just put put get it on there and hope for the best. And some yep. I've only had a few issues where it sounded like shit. And mm-hmm. uh, for some reason, it's Colorado. I don't know why. I've talked really? to two guys from Colorado, 
and they kept dropping the call and they sound kind of goofy for a little while there, but I'm sure it's just a coincidence, but something in the Rocky mountains right there. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) But no, I, I I wrote that down. The script. I was going to look into that. Yeah. It's, it's sweet for sure. I like it so far. Cause on your, your podcast, uh, stagger cast, you guys do a lot of over the phone stuff then. Is it, uh, we've only done two over the phone. Most of it's in person. Kind of, okay. we just get in the truck and just scoot around the Northeast, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, a little bit New York, and some Massachusetts. Just kind of bounce around, and chat up with guys. Yeah, because that's the weird thing about the Northeast area. Like, I don't know. Uh, Everything's right on top of each other, up right? Here, so it's not like I'm only from where I am. I'm an hour from New Hampshire. I'm 50 minutes from New York border. I'm two and a half at the closest and probably not even probably two hours at the closest from Maine and then Massachusetts hour and 45 minutes. So I'm kind of like central to everything. Jeez. That's pretty, that's so it's nice for you want to hunt some extra States. Yeah. It's, it's sweet. You can hunt like I hunt Maine, I hunt New Hampshire, Vermont and Massachusetts and then maybe New York this year, but it's sweet. You can just get in the truck and go one day. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Clint's but all the States up here are crazy different. It's, it's, it's weird. We can kind of talk about that in the podcast if you want to. What, like, yeah. uh, as far as the subject and stuff goes, you just want to, what's the plan? Yeah, as I say, oh, well, we're already rolling, so we can just oh, go sweet. into whatever, whatever we want. Um, I guess, just so you know, I guess I can say it, but uh, we're just kind of go over what you do and your background. If you actually want to just get into that right now, we can. Yeah. Um, so my name is Adam Lampson. I'm from central Vermont, Waterbury to be, uh, exact that's for people that are listening and if you've been up here that's where the ben and jerry's factory is so Mm. big tourist town get a lot of foliage in the fall uh it's a good time to be out the deer stand when the foliage is going on so uh you're not running into all the traffic and tourists and stuff but uh even then you'll be surprised you'll be out in the woods and you'll get a group of tourists come walking through (laughs) if you're bow hunting that early season yeah it's crazy um but for work i do marketing and advertising Um, still full-time with that and then on the side we have our podcast, which is Staggercast, which is, you know, a Northeast hunting and tracking podcast. And uh, we also have a gear company that we started last year um, that makes and specializes in wool clothing um, for Northeast hunters. We do a few different things. We do packs. We do uh, wool jackets, uh, gloves, all the essentials that you need for Northeast hunting. And for a lot of the, you know, Western dudes and Midwest guys that, you know, you run all the Sitka and the First Light and everything. Up here in the Northeast, wool is still king. And it always has been. It's tradition. I mean, everybody still has got a green and black checkered jacket. Um, so we're kind of trying to bridge that uh, gap between, you know, traditional and uh, technical. Because, you know, with these all these Kuyus and Sitkas and stuff, you get a lot. Of, there's a lot. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of great stuff that's applicable to everybody. But uh, we're kind of trying to merge those two worlds of traditional and technical together. So that's what I do. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. That's one thing yeah. I, I have noticed. Like, all you guys up there are really, you guys love your... Um, you know, green and black checkered jackets. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that a Benoit thing? crazy. Yeah, so, like, the Benoit's kind of, I mean, green and black checkered's been around forever, um, but it really got popular, like, when the Benoit family started hunting. Um, for those that don't know, they're actually from the same town I'm from, well, Duxbury, which is kind of just part of Waterbury, right about 10 minutes down the road. They kind of put, you know, Northeast hunting on the map and tracking big bucks, and, and uh, with that, they were all wearing green and black you know, Johnson Woolen Mills, uh, checker jackets and, uh, just kind of came a staple up here. And honestly, for what you get with wool, it's hard to beat up here. You know, it's warm when it's wet, it's quiet and, uh, you know, it blends good. It's, uh, it, it works. So, you know, it's, it's hard to, no point in reinventing the wheel for us up here, I guess, you know? 
Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm personally a huge wool fan. Um, even mm-hmm. in Iowa, it's just, even when you're just sitting in a tree stand, if that's what you do, you know, like yep. it's hard to beat wool and it doesn't stink. Um, mm-hmm. you can wear it, you know, day after day and it's not going to smell just completely wretched. Like some of those synthetic base layers and stuff, especially that I've oh, yeah. had, ugh, they get rancid. Yep. Oh yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's wool really is a miracle fabric. I know they call it that, but it really is that. And you know, we all use merino wool base layers, which we added to our product line this year. And you, like you said, you just can't be it. Like you'll, you'll wear a, you on a hunting trip, you'd be out in Maine tracking bucks for four or five days and you're still wearing the same base layers at the end of the week. And it smells like you just took them out of the washer. You know, it's, yeah. it's crazy how good that stuff is. Yeah, for real. That's awesome. I got a, I had a job. I worked on wind turbines and, mm. uh, my, so we had a clothing allowance and my boss would just take us out to the store and he's like, all right, Hey, you know, your lo- you got your allowances here and we'd go out and I'm just like, okay, cool. I had a lot of stuff like the outer, outer stuff, like my pants and shirts and stuff. Mm-hmm. I just would wear those until they were completely unusable. So I spent mm-hmm. a lot of my clothing allowance on Merino wool and yep. stuff for, for my, uh, my job. And, yep. <laughs> you know, I, so I got a lot of really nice, I think they're, uh, Oh, what are they called? Uh, I can't remember what the fucking brand is. Doesn't really matter. But they're <laughs> yeah, no, I get It's it's just merino wool, and it's awesome. Yeah, but it, oh, it, it, can't beat that stuff. No, especially when it's next to your skin, it just feels nice. Sucks all the sweat <laughs> away. I always wonder though. You know, maybe you can answer this for me because you're a Midwest guy, and maybe you talk to more Western hunters. Do they think we're batshit crazy up here wearing wool? Everybody's wearing technical stuff, and what, what is there like a a Midwest? Uh, consensus about northeast guys you know when people come out there hunt that are wearing wool and stuff no no i i almost feel i kind of (laughs) feel like the the technical clothing is starting to veer more towards wool again actually Mm. like we're just the merino wool um a lot of the the first light stuff they're Mm -hmm. they i guess really good merino wool from what everyone says and i think a lot of that stuff is starting to trend back towards wool which is i think pretty nice the only thing that sucks mm-hmm. is it's kind of expensive, you know. Wool, oh yeah, oh yeah. Wool ain't cheap, so it it's a lot cheaper to throw at least you know like forty percent synthetic in there in the mix and kind of use it as like I don't know a filler, if you will. Yeah, I guess. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's one of the things I learned getting into the wool business is how much more there is to it than you think there is. You know, you go like you said, synthetic fabrics. You can get them whipped up in a shop and pretty easy and then they're pretty abundant but when it comes to wool you know you got to figure out everything from the source from like the legitimate farm that it's coming from oh, and yeah. then from there you got to find a mill that's willing to mill it for you and your quantities and the colors and everything you need there's a lot of moving parts to it uh you know when i got into it i wasn't expecting it to be as difficult as it was but i mean you know that's how that's life you just kind of gotta jump and uh deploy the parachute on your way down i guess <laughs> right? yeah so is that kind of that's what you you guys do for your your stagger gear is you actually go out and source the wool and find the yeah where it's yep. at, and then you I don't know talk to the farmer and get it from them, then take it to a different manufacturing facility. Yeah, so kind of it starts like you start from the source right uh, down, and I mean you can find wool that's already milled and stuff, but if you want it specifically made to your specs and colors and everything, you kind of got to start right at the source. Um, so we source it, and then we have a mill we work with that whips all of the you know the colors the the weave the everything from the knit the weave the colors everything they do it and then from there it gets shipped off to a stitcher which they do all the cut and sew and uh we know we have our designs of how we want the jackets made and they 
work according to that and uh leaves the stitchers comes to us and then we uh market it advertise it put it out there and everybody's everybody seems to be loving it so far we've only been doing it since uh 2021 so it's a newer venture for us but mm. kind of the reason we got into that is the options up here uh we're kind of getting scarce for wool as far as buying but the demand for you know northeast hunting and tracking and stuff beers grown like crazy so we said hey let's do it you know if someone's gonna do it we might as well be us so yeah. we dove in head first and uh it's been good so far and we expanded our product line and Got to meet a lot of great people along the way, but looking forward to getting into this hunting season. We got a lot, a lot of new, uh, we got some new colors come in, and like I said, expanded the product line. So looking forward to seeing all the pictures with some people with some bucks out there tracking bucks down. Dude, that's badass. That's yeah. really, that's really cool. So uh, when I first got back home and started hunting again, uh, I, I was, I don't know, I just started looking at like looking stuff up and everything else. And I, I've always been like uh, a flannel guy. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to rock my flannels and stuff and that kind of thing. And I don't know how I did, but I did, I did stumble upon some like big wood, like Northeast big woods trackers, um, stuff on YouTube. I was watching oh, some yeah. of that. I'm like, damn, that shit looks really sweet. Like, I don't know how much that mm-hmm. is. So I started looking into the wool jacks, like 500 bucks. Like, ugh, eh, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe next year, <laughs> you know, but, yeah. uh, yeah, it's not cheap, but it is, it does look really nice. And, it's, I'm sure it's one of those things too. Like it's probably lasts a long time. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You mean you get guys up here running the same wool jacket they've had for 15, 20 years? You know, that's this stuff. Wool's, you know, it's pretty resilient. It uh, holds up the elements, takes a beating, and it's quiet all while doing it. And I think, I mean, I beat the hell out of my stuff. Um, I'd say I hunt quite a bit more than you know the average weekend warrior. I'm fortunate enough to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I get you know five years out of a jacket and uh, you know, multiple deer under that. That's, that's a good jacket to me, but yeah, oh, yeah, some guys are up here. They run the same jacket or their grandpa handed it down and they have it, but yeah. it's, it's a good material. And, sure. you, and you guys up there, uh, if you kill like a, so, okay. So in the Midwest, we typically judge deer by antler size. Like, uh, I was listening to your guys' podcast. And you're like, Oh man, did he break 200? I'm like, Holy fuck. They're getting yeah. 200 inches up there. Like that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. like, that's just super, like, that's like a, like that's wild. And you never really hear of, yeah. uh, Big two hundred inch bucks getting taken out of the northeast, and but you guys go by pounds, <laughs> so you guys yeah. are like judging deer off of a track yeah. and judge, kind of trying to judge their, their the weight of the deer, not necessarily the antler size. Like that almost comes secondary to you guys. Yeah, exactly. So it's uh, kind of a different system up here than the rest of the than the rest of the country. I mean, even you know the northeast specifically. So you're talking like Vermont, um, New Hampshire, and Maine. That's like the golden gold standard is 200 pounds. If you get a buck that's 200 pounds, you're really doing something. Um, and then even if you go south of that, like Massachusetts and Connecticut and all that stuff, there's not as much emphasis on the body weight just because you're a little bit more south. And it's honestly like a different subspecies of deer that are down there. They're just like smaller bodies. Mm. Um, and then even over in New York, the there isn't as much emphasis on the weight. Um, in the Adirondacks, there's some emphasis on the weight. Um, but over there is more, you know, inches and stuff more like it would be out Midwest, but you know, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, if you kill a buck, that's 200 pounds that has a four corn rack on it. You, you did something versus, you know, a lot of guys would, like I said, would rather kill a 200 pound spike horn than, uh, you know, 140 inch eight point or 10 point, you know, uh-huh. uh, it just kind of depends on what you're looking for and what you want to hunt. I kind of like, uh, a mixture of both. I mean, everybody loves a good rack. You can stare at the rack on the wall for a while. For sure. Um, but yeah, if you can get on a 200 pound buck track and you know the best hunters out there, 
uh, I'm not claiming to be that by any means. Um, <laughs> but you know, the best hunters out there, you know, the how bloods and the Rodney Elmers and stuff that are up here, they're killing 200 pound bucks consistently. And, and that's like, that's what makes legends up here. You know, uh-huh. how blood that's the, that's the guy I found yep. on YouTube. Yep. Yeah. Big woods bucks. They're, they're yeah. an organization out of Maine. Oh man. He's got some awesome videos. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, so, um, I have had a quick thought when you're talking about that, when you're talking about racks and body weight and stuff, I was kind of thinking, so up in the Northeast, you guys are okay. So I, not, not to get too vulgar here, but when you're a guy, you have uh, yeah. a tits guy and an ass guy. I guess in, in the Northeast, <laughs> you guys would be going. more of ass guys. <laughs> oh yeah. Everybody's an ass guy. Yeah. Then, I guess. Hell yeah. <laughs> but, uh, we're here in the yeah, Midwest. No, we're more of racks and tits, oh, yeah. I guess. Everything out there is, is you hit the 200 inch mark out there. You're a hero out there, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. They don't yeah. do. Uh, people like to think that there's booners behind every tree in Iowa. And that's just a hundred percent. Not the case. You have a, you have a chance, you know, mm-hmm. you have a chance of killing a, you know, 160 to 180 inch deer and even on some public you have a chance of shooting those that that quality of deer in iowa mm-hmm. but in, in this you know not just not the case in a lot of places where there's there's zero chance you know they just don't yeah. grow 200 like 180 170 inch bucks like the the amount of them like there's just mm-hmm. there's a lot better chance to kill them out in Iowa, but it's not saying that they're gimmies by any means. You know, yep. I've heard that from yep. other people on other podcasts. Like, man, if I lived in Iowa, I'd be killing fucking booners every year. It's like, uh, <laughs> I highly doubt it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I highly doubt it. Yeah, especially since and there's and this isn't talking shit about anyone, but it's like a lot of times when people come from like Michigan or Pennsylvania or the Northeast, they come to Iowa or Illinois or whatnot, and they see a 145 inch buck and they're like oh fuck yeah and they zap it and they're like dude i just killed a booner and it's like mm-hmm. well he's a nice deer don't get me wrong like, 135 <laughs> 140 inch deer they're really nice i just killed a 140 inch last year and i couldn't have been happier nice. you know but it's like yep. they you just kind of the, the seeing that many 120s and 130s is like unfeasible in other places so i think that's kind oh, of yeah. that's kind of the, the thing that's cool about iowa is that you just have a better chance of killing a higher class when you're talking rack wise buck than a lot of places yep. but yeah no it's like if you kill 120 inch 130 inch buck here you're real. that's a that's a giant here you know mm-hmm. 120 inch buck is what we would classify as a giant you throw a big body behind that and that's everything you could ask for but Oh, yeah. There are some big ones up here. More people are starting to get some bigger ones. Uh, there's been an emphasis towards, you know, growing older deer at like the state uh, regulation level with the fish and wildlife. Like Vermont now has a, it's been a few years has a three point restriction. So uh, okay. at least one has to have three points, and one of the, those points has to be an inch. Uh, and that's helped Vermont, I will say, kind of out of the big three up here in the Northeast: Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine. Vermont's like uh, kind of gets a bad rap for, you know smaller deer and uh you know more pressure there's a lot of hunters in vermont vermont has like i think by volume like state size uh vermont probably has the highest density of that um like per cap or like per square mile you're saying yeah i would say there's a lot of a lot of vermont hunters it's kind of just built into the heritage and the culture up here like i don't know if you ever listen to the other podcasts uh people like to bitch and complain in maine and new hampshire because all the green plates come over after everybody tags out vermont or (laughs) 
Kai, oh yeah, there was a big article about it a few years ago. It was getting shared around a, a Facebook group. There's some dude from New Hampshire that I don't know. I don't I don't want to shit on the guy, but I don't know if he had a tough <laughs> time hunting and he was just looking for anybody to blame. But they called the, I think the title of the article was a green invasion because our license plates are green. Oh, that's and, hilarious. Uh, that's the thing. Oh yeah, he's like, oh everybody. I mean, everybody in Vermont drives a Toyota Tacoma. Don't get me wrong, but like the opening <laughs> line in that article is like, oh, every, all the Larry Benoit wannabes from Vermont. With their uh, green plate Toyota Tacomas heading to New Hampshire and Maine, it was pretty funny. Everybody was getting a laugh out of it, but he was real pissed off. But, <laughs> hey, that's the beauty of hunting the Northeast. You get access to all these states and stuff. Right. Yeah, because um, all those states are over-the-counter for non-residents, aren't they? Yeah, there's no draw. The only draw is uh, there's some, like, bonus uh, muzzleloader late-season doe permits, and uh, moose is by draw, too, up here. But as far as buck tags you can be like you could drive up to new hampshire in november and pick up a tag over the counter right online and you're good to go that's same awesome. with vermont maine all that stuff that as a as an iowa resident which it is a draw state here for non i think as non-residents if you want an archery hunt you're looking at in the good in the good zones in iowa you're talking you know five six years in some places now but i i love i i love having states that have that kind of manage for opportunity of non-residents because mm-hmm. if we're all just if every state was just a, a draw state and we we're just kind of stuck in our own states that'd be kind of boring like it's awesome having states out there that are willing to be like hey you know what we're gonna manage for opportunity because we have a good population here and we yep. you know we can afford to even though it's a lot of not uh, a lot of the resident hunters might get pissed but it's mm-hmm. nice having those states, you know, and mm-hmm. it does make those states that are draw states um, a little more like it makes them it keeps them kind of special, you mm-hmm. know. So I'm yeah. not I'm not saying that it's right or wrong, but it's just there's pros and cons to everything, you know. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I love Iowa and I love living here and hunting here, but at the same time, like man, I really want to get out of get out and hunt other places too, you know. Mm-hmm. So like north the northeast area that's been a bucket list for me to go out there and hunt someday. Cause for one, you guys can use rifles and you just yeah. walk around and you have so much, there's so much public land up there in the mountain areas and stuff like the Adirondacks and whatnot. I think it's all pub- public pretty much, isn't it? Oh yeah. 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 The Adirondacks pretty much all public. That's like a million acres forever wild too. It'll never be developed or anything like that. And then Vermont, you got, you know, the whole green mountain national forest, you got all the logging land up in the Northeast kingdom of Vermont and, uh, all the state forests. And then New Hampshire, you have the white mountain national forest, which is a giant block of timber. Uh, and then you go up in the Northern New Hampshire zone up like by Pittsburgh. And that's all logging land that you have full access to all the easements and everything. And then Maine is kind of Maine special, you know, from, you know, like coastal and Southern Maine, that's where it's all posted up and stuff, but you get just North of that. Um, all the way up through to all the way to the tip of Maine, and it's all just logging company owns everything, you know, Irving Paper and Weyhauser, all that stuff, um, which the state uh, has agreements with, and everybody, you can use the log roads. That's kind of how you go about it, accessing everything. It's just, it's just massive. It's, it truly is big woods. Um, you know, we say big woods up here, but I know guys in, like, Colorado and, you know, those Western guys, they're probably like, well, that's not that big, you know. But uh, <laughs> for us, it's big up here, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I just, me personally, the way I like to hunt, I find that, um, like really intriguing just because in Iowa, you can't do that. There's just not, there's barely any timber that is suitable for tracking. Yeah. So like, there's a couple pieces of public in Iowa that I'm sure that are, are big enough that you could probably get on a track because I did, I did do it, um, a couple of years ago when I was out during, oh, really? uh, yeah, I was during shotgun season 
in Iowa and we just got fresh snow. I'm like, I went out with my buddy. I'm like, we're just, we were just hunting does. So we were, we only had uh, doe tags. So I'm like, dude, we got fresh snow. Let's fucking try tracking. Like I seen, I seen some <laughs> dudes do this shit on YouTube and we can do it here. Like this is a pretty big, good chunk of public. We might be able to get on fresh track and catch up to them. And he's like, okay, cool. So I, we went in there and we just kind of walked around the, the parking lot area and went out in the woods, kind of meandered around and we found some tracks and I just walked them out and then they all started kind of linking up. I'm like, hell yeah, this is going to be fucking pretty sweet. <laughs> and we, I went all the way down to the very far edge of this public and there's just this, um, grass kind of opening that was right on the edge of this private and there, I popped around the corner and there's like a shit ton of deer just sitting there I'm like, hell yeah. And they ran, they hey. started running by and I plugged two does out of there. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> I'm a tracker now. Like, <laughs> Hell blood. What's uh, up? Like, let's go. You know? That's funny. Like, was, hey, it works. It works. Yeah. I was jacked up. About it. That was awesome. It sucked dragon, yep. but you guys are dragging like miles because you guys are out there yeah. getting, getting lost. Like not lost because I'm sure you have, you know, you have your GPS or compasses and whatnot, but it's like, yep. man, you're out there walking all day. Yeah. Yeah. Like last year, the buck I got, I did, uh, by the time I got him, I did 17 miles on the day and then we had about a mm, probably two and a quarter, two and a half mile drag out. So that was a long day. Fuck. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's rugged for sure. And you know, places like New Hampshire and Vermont and especially the Adirondacks where there's not as much road access into all the big woods. Um, you're, you, you can be dragging, you know, at the worst, you know, five miles probably out to, to a truck, but, Maine is probably the easiest as far as access goes into some of the big woods and getting deer out because everything like I said up in northern Maine and central Maine and stuff's all logging country, so you can get a truck in on skid roads and and cutting and, and uh, some around some cuts and stuff. So you're never too far away, I want to say, in Maine from getting a buck out to a road. You might have to walk 45 minutes around to get to your truck again, but at least you can drive up to your deer if you know you're probably not dragging too 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 not too too bad, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it can get uh, it can get long. You definitely when you kill a deer out in the back somewhere, you're like, well, shit, I better get the jet sled and some help to get <laughs> yeah. this thing out. But uh, hey, it's all part of it. That's the most fun you can have when you're when you're breathing that heavy, right? <laughs> oh, for sure, dude. Absolutely, it's uh, what we call second uh, is it secondhand fun? Or yeah. Not, yeah. Not, maybe not fun in the moment, but the stories afterwards, and you're talking about it, and it's like that is pretty awesome. Like when you're out west and you're hunting, you know, elk or something like that out in you're, you know, five, six miles out and then you're packing out, you know, take, making multiple trips. Like it sucks, but at the same time, it's mm-hmm. awesome, That's, you know, oh, yeah. cause you're successful and you're hurting, but you're like, dude, I got it done. This is awesome. Wouldn't want to be doing anything else at that time. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely not. Yeah. I was, I was, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to ask, uh, so you guys do use jet sleds every once in a while. Like if you can, cause I mean, dragging, yeah. just dragging a deer out by its horns is. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of, uh, I just kind of recently got into using a jet sled and it's kind of been around for a while, obviously, but, uh, more and more guys are starting to do that. But yeah, if you're dragging a buck out, even especially on bare ground, you're way out in the back, you want that sled because if you kill a big one and you want to get it mounted, there ain't going to be any hair left on the oh, side right. of it by the time you get it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, jet sleds key use that this year. That makes it so much easier than dragging, even on snow. I mean, you have snow, you probably, you drag deer out on snow. It makes it easier, but mm-hmm. you have that jet sled, that thing just about takes itself out of the woods and, that's key yeah for sure it's nice because when you're dragging them out in the snow too like it makes the deer slide a lot easier but then you're also slipping and stuff too so yeah yeah especially <laughs> if you gotta go uphill with it the thing yeah. uh, i got a, a video i think it's on our 
the staggered gear Instagram page of a buck I got a couple of years ago. We're dragging it out, and the thing just about takes me down the mountain there. Uh, uh, it, <laughs> come around the street, and it starts sliding down the bank, and I get pulled down on my ass about <laughs> 20 yards down the bank, sliding, just trying to go up the hill with it. That's funny. I, I just watched that today, actually. I was yeah. scooping around on you guys' Instagram and stuff, and I was like, and I saw that video. I'm like, that's fucking pretty funny. I thought you were just going to jump on him and write him down. <laughs> I thought about it. <laughs> that's probably the best way to do it. Yeah, for right. sure. Uh, yeah, man. as long as you only got to go back up. Yeah, that would suck. Yeah, it's not fun going up with it, that's <laughs> no. for sure. <laughs> no. that the, uh, the deer I killed last uh, last year during archery season, I had a, it was pretty flat, but he died, He crossed this dried up creek bed, and the creek bed, like, uh, I don't know, banks were about six feet tall. Yep. And he crossed it and made it to the other side. So I'm like, damn it. So I had to drag him down the creek bed, then back up there. And I thought I freaking killed myself trying to place <laughs> that thing out there. Cause he was, he was like almost 200 pounds dressed. And I was like, damn, yep. he's a, he's yep. a big bodied buck too. And I was like, seems like you guys have some big bodies out there. You know, everybody like up here focuses on 200 pound weight and you know, we're like, Oh, these big Northern bucks. But I mean, you see some pictures of some bucks you guys are killing out, you know, Midwest and there's some big old corn fed hogs out there that are, oh, yeah. you know, heavy. Oh yeah, yeah. So we it's got not some... just us up here. No, we like to think it's just us, but yeah. you guys got some hammers down there too, body wise. Oh yeah, we got some fat ass deer down here too. They're yeah, they they like they do like to gorge themselves on corn, and I mm-hmm. feel like that does help because like my buck, I, he was uh, I think I got I sent him in for aging, and he was five and a half years old, and he was wow. dressed out because I actually put him on the scale. It's, we don't really do, like weigh our bucks a whole lot here. Yeah, but I'm like, man, I'm curious. And he was 198 pounds on the scale. That's a hammer. After being field dressed, yeah, I was like, damn, he's a pretty nice sized buck. Like, yeah, really nice size. Yeah, like, really nice body. But I mean, he was also early season, so he didn't rut yet. If I would have killed mm-hmm. him in you know mid November or December, he probably would have been like pff, I don't know, 170 pounds maybe. Yeah, so. yeah, that's that's the thing up here. It's like you kill a buck at the end of the season, you know, late rut because our season runs from. You know, Vermont's like mid-November to the end of November and like Maine's November 1st to the end of November. You kill a buck that last week of November, like first week of December, and it's like 180 pounds. You're like, shit, this thing was well over 200, you know, during the right in the middle of the season or in the beginning of the season. Makes you wonder for sure. There's a lot of bucks get killed like that. It keeps people just out of that, you know, big buck patch range. So Mm -hmm. definitely. Yep, for sure. So you guys, as another thing I was going to ask, you guys have like, cool patches you hand out like you have an official yeah. scale and stuff that you guys have to take them in to get weighed or something yep so maine uh new hampshire and vermont you have to actually physically take your buck to a reporting station to have it weighed in and you know they check it out and they'll uh you know count the points on it weigh it and then that gets all logged into a system and that goes directly to fish and wildlife and they you know pull a bunch of reports and stuff you know the season off it look at like the age class of deer and you know the health and all that stuff but uh yeah, if you're at a state-registered uh, weigh-in station and you hit that 200-pound mark in New Hampshire, Vermont, and Maine, you could, they'll ask you if you want to sign up for, you know, the biggest bucks of Maine Club or Vermont Trophy Bucks or, uh, like, it's New Hampshire's, like, a Nastic, New Hampshire Antler School and Trophy Club. Uh, if you say yes, then you fill out a form and they mail you a patch, uh, and then you have it. But that's kind of like the gold standard. You get some get dudes up here, some old-timers that got, you know, 2,200-pound main buck patches and that's what you hang your hat on right there that's awesome so that's that's pretty badass because what do you just put the patches on your tracking jacket then 
yeah, some people put them on their jackets. Some people, you know, have a display. Or, I know a lot of guys will get the deer mounted and they'll put it in like a frame underneath it. Oh, kinda okay. Up, up to you how you want to do it. But uh, it's cool. You know, it kind of it adds, you know, to the experience of weighing in a buck. And, you know, you hit that 200-pound mark for these guys. And it's, uh, you know, just a special thing. It's, it's kind of cool we have those programs for sure. It, it entices people in and definitely uh, creates a lot of attention. Yeah, no, that, that is awesome. And it's something cool about going by weight, uh, by weight instead of like antler inches. Cause I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, antler inches is kind of a, is a pretty poor way to judge, you know, especially a deer's age. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's cool that you guys are going off bio. Cause I feel like body weight is a much better standard to maturity yep. rather than, um, rack size. Cause I mean, yeah, we, I've seen, a couple times, you know, I've seen a couple two-year-olds. I'm like, holy shit, he's huge. But he's probably like 130 as a two-year-old. I'm like, he's going to be a stud, but he's he's got such a small body on him that he's got to be, you know, a two-year-old. He's just a stud. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's it's weird up here because, like, uh, like I was telling you before, like, Vermont's kind of, like, known for, like, the smaller bucks. But, like, you go over to Maine and you might shoot a two-and-a-half-year-old buck that's, you know, 205, 210, but you come to Vermont and, like, my buck that I got this year, he turned out to be nine and a half years old. We had him aged, and uh, he was 182. It's just no, really? a lot of it's genetics, and uh, a lot of it comes down to the length of deer. You know, if they're long and skinny, or some of them are short and skinny, short and fat. It all kind of depends on the genetics. But Maine is your, your best chance of getting a 200 pounder, and that's why you know Maine gets so much attention for hunting over there. A lot of guys, you know, chasing that 200 pound mark, but Vermont, it's Vermont. I would say out of the Northeast is the hardest state to kill a 200 pounder in. We kind of have like a, like a different subspecies of deer here, except for like, you know, like up in the Northeast kingdom of Vermont, if you're ever looking at the map, the top, you know, right hand corner of the Vermont kind of where it hooks out. That's like uh very similar to Maine as far as how the terrain sets up. There's kind of like a line that comes down across the top corner of the state, cuts across the top of New Hampshire and into Maine. And, like, you go above that line, the deer tend to be bigger. And uh, you go below that line, the deer kind of tend to be smaller. It's, huh. it's, it's interesting. It's very, huh. it's, yeah, just like a different breed of deer almost. But uh, Vermont, back in the day when the population was wiped out, they did, uh, like, restock the population with, I think it was, like, genetics and deer from Virginia or something. Mm. Just kind of like that more spindly horn stuff and, you know, smaller bodies. Yep. So that definitely has an impact on it versus, you know, you're up in that northeast corner and, you know, northern New Hampshire and Maine. The deer just stockier, you know, the horns are massier. They're like gnarlier looking, just like a true, you know, northern brute looking deer. They're just different looking, you know, yeah. which is super cool. Um, but yeah, like Vermont tend to has like the more spindly horn genetics and, uh, we don't get those big, big racks that you see in New Hampshire and in Maine. Don't get me wrong. There's still some giants in Vermont. Everybody shoots a few every year, but mm-hmm. nothing to the frequency, I would say, of Maine and New Hampshire. Like my co-host Greg there on the podcast, uh, I don't know if you listened to that episode or not, but he actually killed a booner this year in New Hampshire. He killed the number one firearms deer in New Hampshire, typical. Uh, oh. The net score was 178 and uh, an eighth inch net. And uh, all right, 171 net and then uh 178 gross and he made boone and crockett and he just got his awards and all that stuff for it which absolutely incredible deer once in a lifetime deer up here dude but they're out there that's awesome was he tracking that too that... so that one he he'd actually been hunting that deer for three years uh, i wish he was here to tell the story on it but he actually oh, yeah. found that buck back in 2020 
Um, just after the season, he was doing some late season scouting, exploring, popped some cameras out and found this giant uh, that was using this funnel up the side of a mountain. And uh, he had pictures of him for three years in that funnel just periodically. And he was kind of doing, you know, narrowing the area down, trying to figure out where he was and end up getting more pictures here and there, certain areas, figuring him out. And then uh, this year, he, or, well, 2022, he had one picture early on in Velvet, and then he kind of disappeared, and then he came back right around the end of, uh, end of October, which is right when the muzzleloader season starts in New Hampshire, and found him again, and then he just disappeared for, like, two weeks, couldn't find him, couldn't find him, and then it turned into rifle season. He was checking all the, all the mountainsides all around there, just looking, and uh, he eventually went into this piece one day, and gets in there and there's just a dusting of snow, not a whole lot. And, uh, saw his track in the snow and he had a big old foot on him. There was no denying that he was the, the king of the mountain in there for sure. And he just, you know, he figured it was that buck and gets in there he finds some scrapes and it's kind of crunchy snow. And he was walking around to not enough snow to track, you know, just kind of sporadic spots here and there, but that buck was buck track was all over in there. So he's like, all right, I'm just going to pop a squat right here on a stump, do some grunting and, and see, cause that buck was in there. Sure enough, he did some grunting. Probably 30 minutes later, he hears something walking behind him. Things are grunting back at him, and thing ends up slipping like 20 yards behind him. If you watch the video, it's on the Stagger Gear YouTube channel. It's like, uh, mm. I think we put it down as like the biggest New England buck ever killed on camera, because it was. Um, but it's on there. You can see it all, and the thing comes up in behind him. He spins around, shoots it. thing runs right by him at like five yards right in front of the camera. Unbelievable. And then it just went piled up, but. Yeah, absolute giant. He nicknamed it Gandalf too, which is pretty cool. <laughs> after you know, he likes Lord of the Rings, yeah. just like the White Ghost, <laughs> the White Wizard. I mean. Yeah, that's badass. I'll check that out. That sounds really cool. Yeah, check it out. I'll send you the uh, link to the YouTube channel after. But we got okay. uh, his bucks on there, my bucks on there from Pat this past year, and we had a lot of fun making those videos this year. But cool. yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's. I'm not gonna lie. I I find more enjoyment out of like watching Northeast like that style of hunting. Yeah so much more like i love like i said i i love living in iowa i love hunting the midwest but man i'm just not i've never been like a stand guy i'm still not mm-hmm. like I, I do hunt from a stand you know and and stuff when i when it makes sense but a lot of times i just like to i like to go mix it up on the ground you know it's a lot more yeah it's a lot more enjoyable i fucking hate just sitting there and waiting and then i start second guessing myself I'm like am i in a good spot i don't know and i hunt pretty much all public land where I'm at and maybe some permission pieces and stuff. But yep. man, I'm like, on the, on my, like my private land stuff, then I'll, you know, I'll hunt more from a tree stand, but on public land, I'm like, I just, you never know what's happening out there. You never know who walked by the day before the, that morning or anything. So it's nice. Yep. It's nice getting down and mixing it up and then getting on deer that way. And up where you guys are at, it's just like a big playground up there. Yeah. Let me, uh, here, can we take a quick pause for a second? Yeah. Yeah. Let me just pop new, my, uh, headset died here. Let me just pop new batteries. In it. Okay. Sorry about that. No, you're good, man. You rock wireless mic or headset? Uh, no, I got a wired headset to the, I got like a audio tech, one of those like basic headsets with yeah, the, that's what I got too. <laughs> they're slick. They work good. I just All didn't right. realize this. All right. Plugging it back in one second. Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah, I'm good to go then. If you're good, okay. Or, 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 oh, were you saying your your pod track died? Your Zoom? Yeah, that thing oh. died on me. Yeah. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Dude, I just I, had to have it plugged into the actual jack. Yeah, I say I run mine powered. I my very first podcast, I was 
um, talking with my buddy Justin Trees, and th- luckily he's my buddy. And I just had batteries, and I'm like, hell yeah, this is pretty slick. We're talking, <laughs> talking, talking, and then next thing you know, it dies. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I started freaking yeah. out. And I think the next day I went and bought a power cord for it and stuff. And yeah, just running yeah we, we always wire ours, too, with a little jackery when we're meeting up with people. But uh, I thought tonight I had enough battery in there, but oh well. But yeah. uh, no, you're good. I can uh, dive back in there on the, on the – I get a question for you about that yeah. stuff. Yep. Um, so – yeah, so I mean, I see with the content I see coming out of the you know Iowa area versus up here. Not, I'm not shitting on anybody, but you know, it just seems like you get a lot of the same stand set up, and you know, buck comes into a cornfield and stuff. But up here, I feel like the uh, everything, every interaction up here is so unique because the hunting, you know, the terrain and the conditions you dealt with, and the low deer population here. Every interaction you see on the video is different up here, which is pretty cool. I think that's. It's not, not something you get in, in a lot of other parts of the country. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you're – I didn't think that I was talking shit at all because that's exactly what it is for the most <laughs> part up here, you know, or over here is – yeah, I mean, especially when you're talking private land. A lot of guys have your their food their food plots and stuff all planted and everything else. And they have the – kind of where they're bedding at all dialed in. And, and don't get me wrong, there's, a, there's an art in itself to that kind of stuff and doing – you know, oh, absolutely. food plot architecture and getting all this stuff lined up and all this shit. Like it's those guys work their asses off. Like I have a buddy, Austin Chandler from working class bow hunter and he's big on that. Like this is one of his mm-hmm. favorite things is land management. He's a farmer. So his favorite, mm-hmm. one of his favorite things is land management and building these properties to hold deer and be good for them all year round. And if it wasn't for guys like that, that had all that put all this time and effort into, um, food plots and having really good properties, I don't think we'd have the deer population we have in Iowa because the majority of deer live on, live on private, or if they do live on public, mm-hmm. then they're living, you know, on a property, like really close to a, to the fence line, you know, to the property fence and yeah. whatnot. And once they start feeling much pressure on the public, then they just bound over and call our night. But, um, yeah. it gets to be the point where, you know, deer don't like to be living on top of each other all the time. So, a lot of deer mm-hmm. get kicked out of the private land, and you know that's what keeps the the state populated. I think so. Yep. It's just yeah. I, so there's like little nurseries almost those those private land pieces for yeah. all the young bucks and everything coming up through. Yeah, right. I mean, it's like uh, you know the amount of effort those guys put in the land management and you know planting food plots and looking after deer and all that stuff. I mean, it kind of translates in the same energy that you know guys up here they go hiking up, you know, 10 miles up a mountain to try and find a, a shelf in a community scrape there to put a camera on to locate the deer. It's just, it's just different, but, uh, yep. everybody works, you know, everybody's working hard for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's definitely not, cause I, you know, I've hunted some private land. I've hunted, uh, some pretty good, really some pretty good private ground before. And it's, it's just a completely different ball game. You have to be way more careful. Cause I, I feel like ice around here. I feel like the deer that live predominantly on public they learn to deal with pressure a lot differently, you know, mm-hmm. on a super secluded private land chunk. If you are in this area and then a deer smells you or sees you walking in, he's like, Whoa, what the fuck? Like, that's weird. Yeah. You know, you're, you're supposed to be over there in the field, not over here in the woods. And once you mm-hmm. do that, once you do that a couple of times and they're kind of bouncing out of there, but I yeah. feel like public land deer are a little bit more forgiving where if you bump them or something like that, then they're like, oh, okay, well, this shit happens all year round. It's fine. And they kind of yeah. weasel their way back in um, a little bit quicker than some of the private land got, um, deer. But it's just yeah. different. It's just all different. I just, I'd love to have a, 
huge ass farm with uh, a bunch oh, of food plots and all that stuff. It'd be great, but I yeah, just don't. Dream. <laughs> I just don't. Ain't got the money for that. Yeah, and there's there's some, a lot of private land hunting up here too. I don't want to make it sound like everybody hunts, you know, public big woods pieces up here. There's a lot, a lot. I'd say the majority of deer get shot or getting shot on private land, and, and you know, Vermont, New Hampshire, and stuff. Okay, um, there's a lot of farms and farmland and stuff. But kind of how I like to do it, I just I don't like being around people. You know, I'd like to get out there and try to find the buck that's the farthest in there. And I don't know, I just think there's more of a story and adventure with it, and that's kind of mm-hmm. what draws me in, like. Like everybody that up here that, you know, it's a big woods hunter or whatever. Um, everybody started on public or private land for the most part, you know, everybody started as a sitter for the most part. Mm. Um, and they kind of just expand and, and cater to what you want to become as a deer hunter up here. And if you want to chase mountain bucks, that's awesome. And if you want to sit in a stand out in a farm field, that's awesome too. You know, it's yeah. whatever, whatever floats your boat, but there's yep. opportunities out there for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just, I, I like to be moving a lot. That's why I'm yeah. about going out West and, it's also what intrigues me about going honestly up to the Northeast part is just being <clears> able to get out and stretch your legs out and, you know, just kind of walk around and see what happens. Yeah. There's opportunities here. You know, if you want to go for it, you can shit, look on on X and pick a big piece of paper company land and some park here and go. I mean, you might not see a deer for five days, but yeah. you can get out there. The deer, the deer density up here is so much lower than it is Midwest, but I think that's why, you know, tracking is, king up here for killing bigger bucks uh, in those big pieces because the deer density is so low that your odds of mixing them up like you would out there and, and i said you track those does and stuff but i'm sure there's a lot of other tracks coming around crossing and all that stuff up here you get on a buck track you might follow him the whole day and never come across another buck track or if uh or even a doe track but some days you go out in the big woods and after a fresh snow and you might hike all day long do 10 15 miles you might not even see a deer track most days you can, you can find one, but, uh, that's just the deer density up here. And that's why it's, why it works. That's a hundred percent accurate. So when I, when I did my little deer tracking excursion in Iowa, it, I, there's absolutely a hundred percent, no way I would be able to tell one track from another. Cause they just got, it would just, I picked up a couple of tracks and then it turned into a, it kind of looked like a, well, it kind of looked like a a cattle trail you know it's just so beaten yep. down there's yeah. so, there's so many deer that hop on that main trail it's impossible like you just you're not going to be tracking deer the way you guys track deer in a mm-hmm. state like iowa or illinois mm-hmm. or even minnesota for that matter like in the midwest yeah. area you're just not going to be doing that just because they're going to get they're going to hit a main trail and then you're screwed you're not going to be able to find you it's it's borderline impossible to really sift through there and if you're doing yeah. that and taking that much care into sifting through the main trails to stay on this one track, then you're, you're going to be taking way too long. I just don't, you're going to be able to get on them and, or run out of land. It's the biggest problem, honestly, with that. Yeah. It's not, it's complete opposite up here. You, uh, you get on that one buck and most of the time you can stay on them every once in a while, you know, that buck, you'll be following him and he'll get into a doe group or something and see where he ran him around in circles and circles. And, you know, that's the hardest part to decipher where he went out of there. They call those, you know, the barnyard up here. If you, you hit a scenario like that, it just looks like a barnyard of tracks. And oh, yeah. uh, just deciphering where he went out of that is usually the, the hardest part or where most people, you know, might lose a track. There's a lot, uh, like multiple bucks in there, you know, a whole bunch of does and it's all tore up. But that's that's the only kind of place comparable to, you know, those main trails that you have where you would lose a, a deer like that. But, mm-hmm. yeah, you can usually stay on one for the most part. Yeah, and it was wild for me to really wrap my head around it when I was – watching some of those videos and like, yep, this is him. This is the buck. And here we yeah. go. You know, kind of thing. I'm like, 
dude, I can't even, I can't even go out to the woods and really recreate that scenario here because it's just yeah, finding, it's finding totally more deer. Yeah. There's just a lot more. And you know, that's what's so cool about being out there. Like being out there though, is that, yeah, the deer density is a lot lower, which, you know, kind of sucks, but it does mm. play into the, the buck tracking, um, hand way better, honestly. Right. I mean, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You're not going to lose it. That deer, you're going to be able to stay on him. And that's why it's so good. Cause you know, these deer, these big bucks appear on the mountains and in the big woods, they might just, you know, they don't use trails as much as, you know, Midwest deer I'm do, I do, I'm guessing. Um, they just mm-hmm. kind of meander through the woods and, you know, they have a lot of times these big bucks will have a loop and that loop might be 15, 20 miles that spans over four days. So if you're sitting there in one spot hoping to catch this buck, it's pretty rare, but it, I mean, it can happen if you're a big wood sitter and you get them dialed in, it definitely can work. But yep. most of these times, these deer, especially during the rut, they're just zombie walking around, cruising all over the place, you know a deer might get killed 15 miles from where you had a picture of it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of unknown, a lot of variables up here with the deer. And uh, that's why tracking is the way to do it. If, if you're willing to do it and put the miles in, you know, you can get out mm-hmm. there and find that track and hunt that one specific deer. And kind of, if I'm going into an area where I know there's a lot of deer and if I get a buck track that I really like, what I'll do is I'll take a little stick, like a little twig off like a fir tree or something. And uh, I'll size it to the width of his track and I'll put that stick in my pocket. I learned that from somebody. I can't remember where that came from. So you can kind of maintain if you get in like an area with a lot of deer, like crisscross and stuff, you pop that stick down. Oh, okay. This is the same width as that one right there that I was on. This must be him. So you kind of keep rolling with it. Oh, that's smart. Do that with like uh, like a rifle shell too and stuff like that. Whatever way you keep track and keep inventory on them. Yeah, that's super smart. That's some fucking really good knowledge there. Uh, (laughs) uh, But man, I don't know. Uh, Fucking going out there, uh, going out there is just kind of seems, it definitely seems wild, but that's, it, that's what's so intriguing about it. And they're just, they're mountain bucks, like you said, you know, so mm-hmm. mountain bucks do behave way differently than, you know, uh, Midwest bucks where they're, mm-hmm. they have their core it, here in my area, each deer, they kind of have their core area and that core mm-hmm. area could be, you know, if it's an older buck, generally as they get older, their core, core area shrinks like significantly. Yeah. And, but it also kind of depends on the personality of that deer too. But, uh, you know, that core area could be, you know, 10, 15 acres, or it could be, mm-hmm. you know, a hundred acres or 200 acres or a couple miles, you know, it all depends on that buck and how he's figured out how to survive in that area, you know? So, yeah. but it's just, uh, it seems like the mountain bucks just behave way different. Cause I've heard of guys that hunt white tails and like, Idaho and stuff and mm-hmm. they're like yeah they're mountain bucks they do their thing they run these they run these mountains and they have a huge range they're almost like oh, yeah. they're almost like mild mule deer or something like that their, their range is so big mm-hmm. they, just, they don't migrate I don't think as much like like that but they definitely they shift a lot more and I almost feel like that's that has to do something with the food right yeah especially I mean out there with the you know, that way get way more snow during the winter and stuff out there. So there's more migration going on out there, which I think affects it. Just in mm-hmm. recent years, I've been looking more into that like Western whitetail tracking because there's opportunities out there and there's guys that are going to Montana and Idaho tracking and stuff mm-hmm. just because it's big woods and there's some big bucks out there. But out there, I think there's more to do with migration and, and following the feed and stuff like that and dealing with snow. 
um, versus up here, there's, uh, there's still migration up here that, you know, there's deer yards and stuff in Maine where you can go in the winter and, and feed them if you want to and, and see them. Um, Vermont, not as much. Our deer yards in Vermont are kind of wiped out. They kind of just live out there. Um, it's just the way it is versus, and then, you know, there's more migration in New Hampshire and stuff, but not quite what it is in Maine, but it's just different. Everybody, it's just, it's just a lot of variables up here and every state's so different, uh, even though you're only separated by, you know, an hour from each state line to line, you know, it's just, it's weird how it all sets up. Yeah. <laughs> what are they eating mostly when they're out there, like out in your area? Like what are they eating on? It's all, is it predominantly like 90 plus percent browse? Like there's no, really yeah. no fields and shit up in the mountains. I mean, yeah. So Vermont itself. So up where I am in Vermont, I'm kind of like North central Vermont. Um, there's like no oak trees. There's no acorns, which is big, you know, you know, if you get more Southern and, and New Hampshire has more Oaks than us and, you know, Southern Maine has more Oaks than us, but Vermont where I run, uh, if it's a good beech nut year. So beech trees, uh, everything kind of dictated around that, but there's not much for beech nuts and stuff. It's, you know, browse, it's buds, it's mushrooms, uh, mm. ferns. And it's, it's kind of a rugged style of life that they're living for food. You know, there's not a lot of agriculture or um, cuts in the Vermont state forests versus in Maine, you know, those deer get so big up there because they're just feeding on all that, you know, regen growth that's coming out of the cuts in Maine, uh, oh, which is, yeah. which is good for food. Cause they get all like the raspberry bushes, all the leafy greens and all the buds kicking up, um, which is good. There's more cutting in New Hampshire than there is Vermont as well. Um, but for Vermont mountain deer, it's, you know, very dictated by beech nut and, you know, mass crops with that. Uh, like I said, ferns, mushrooms, all that, so on. But in New Hampshire, there's a lot more oak trees. Um, and those deer are more dependent on a mix of, you know, beech and, and oak. Um, so there's more diversity of the food source there. And if you get a, a heavy acorn year, like it was two years ago in New Hampshire, they were killing some hammer bucks down there. Um, just, yeah, everything like I said before, every state's different. But, yeah, it's kind of a rugged life. If you're a deep woods buck, you're just nipping buds, eating bark mushrooms all that stuff but Maine's <laughs> definitely more dictated by the the fee that comes with all the cutting that goes on up there because like i said a lot of maine is owned by paper company lands you know so you're mm-hmm. constantly cutting up there and there's a lot of new food sources for them no that makes a lot of sense yeah um because i always kind of wondered like what you guys were targeting for food sources because whitetails are whether they're you know in iowa idaho or you know vermont you still target food sources. You just got to find what they're eating a lot more. Like mm-hmm. in Iowa, in the Midwest, you can kind of tell like, yeah, they're going to be out in this woodlot and they're going to come out mm-hmm. in the field and eat, you know, beans or corn or wherever you have planted in your food plots if you do food plots and stuff. But it yep. still is very, um, if you have a lot of oak trees in even in the Midwest, like there'll be times where, especially if it's a really good white oak year, they'll be hammering those white oaks and they won't even make it to the, the food plots or the fields until well past dark because they're content being in the woods and they have their cover and their food and everything's right there, right close. But Mm -hmm. there's also a lot more deer so that the, all the acorns get eaten up a lot quicker. So then they get, go back to go back out in the fields and stuff. But yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, apples, big food source up here too, for like more of the lowland deer and stuff that are hanging on private apples, a big food source. Um, And Mm -hmm. that might, that'll honestly sometimes draw some deer out of the mountains and stuff down. If there's not a lot of, you know, mass crop going on up in the woods. Uh, but yeah, apples are a big thing. I don't, do you guys have much for apple trees out there and stuff? Or is that not even really a, a factor out there? Uh, not unless you, there's an orchard nearby or something, yeah. but yeah, yeah no, not good. really. We get a lot of like crab apples and stuff and, you know, deer really like them, but 
Yeah, if they like uh, they hammer them pretty good. Yeah, generally if there's like an apple tree or a fruit tree of some sort out in the woods, it was put there by a person for a reason, you know. So, oh, okay. Yep. Like some of our some of our public land, like Iowa doesn't have a lot of public land, like mm-hmm. bare, like really not much at all. Um, and that's another reason why we're a draw state because the public land is so sparse. I think like something like ninety something percent of Iowa is private land, so wow. it's pretty pretty private here. But uh, one nice thing about that is the conservation um, clubs and stuff. They have maybe a little bit more money to put in to the public land, which makes it a little bit higher quality. So I've been on some pieces of public that they put, go out there and they plant fruit fruit trees and stuff and do food yep. plots and all that good stuff too on public, which is really nice. But um, generally, no, like you're not going to be in the in a big acreage of land and find like an apple tree and or yep. parsimon tree or anything like that just growing yeah. randomly i like uh when i when i'm watching like midwest videos for me personally i like watching the like midwest deer drive videos when you get this group of people that oh, goes yeah. into this tiny piece of public <laughs> land all like the orange army freaking whistles going off guns going off everywhere it's just that's like an adventure in and of itself versus you know sitting in the stand or whatever i just like watching those videos it's pretty crazy all the all the deer there's like 30 40 deer kicking out of this you know 15 acre piece of property which is just like unheard of up here it's just yeah. cool to watch that stuff yeah it's fucking wild honestly uh i <laughs> <laughs> i grew up doing that shit um and you know i i don't know i have mixed feelings on deer drives personally but yeah. I, I, I do still do them from time to time, but I don't. Mm-hmm. I, so I, I grew up doing it with uh, a larger group and it just got way too wild. And my dad and I were like, this is crazy. Like we got, we got to leave. <laughs> so we just started going out, just me and him. And then with my buddy and his dad, so really small group. And we were really meticulous on how we um, push certain woodlots and stuff. Yeah. But no, it is honestly, it's pretty ridiculous when you push through certain woodlots and the amount of deer you'll, deer you'll kick out of there because especially during uh second gun season um mm-hmm. these deer will hole up in some really weird off the wall spots like i remember i we pushed this uh it was just a field and it had this really big the only part that's wooded was this chunk out in the middle of the field and it was just a big depression so it, we call it, it was just a pothole is what we call it. And the farmers didn't, you know, they didn't, the farmer didn't, uh, row crop or nothing. Cause there's no reason to get in there. And that's where you just threw all those junk and boulders and other shit in there. And, uh, we would go in there. That was like an every year thing. We're like, okay, we got to go hit this pothole. Cause there's going to be deer in there. We'd kick out, you know, 20, 25 deer out of there almost every time we went in there. Damn. Yeah. Just that's crazy. Packing <laughs> it in. Cause they got pushed out of everywhere else. And like, well, this spot has seems to be pretty safe and we walk in there yeah. and there's fucking deer running everywhere it was insane just bone flying through the woods everywhere and there. i like <laughs> yeah. watching the public videos and they do their iowa deer drives and ohio deer drives and stuff there's just deer flying everywhere it's just oh, so yeah. cool to see deer and stuff because yeah. like up here like our buck to doe ratio is so much lower than you know yours is out there too so you know you see you see some bone out here in the woods. You're thinking, you're talking about it for a couple of days. You know, you don't see a lot of bucks out here. Um, we try to pass up, you know, typically a lot of bigger woods hunters will pass up some of those, you know, smaller bucks to get a chance to, you know, grow bigger and stuff like that. But yeah, we don't, we don't have the bucks that you guys do. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. It's just, it's, it's such a different, it's such a different style of hunting. And 
I know a lot of guys like to poo-poo on it because it's like, oh, that's not hunting. That's just, you know, there's no skill involved into it. And it's like, I can definitely see that. And I do agree to a certain extent, you know, but it's such a tradition um, up here for oh, people yeah. to do deer drives. You get out with your buddies and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun in its own way for sure. Yeah. So I, I mean, it I'm, is, it is. It's a blast. It's, it's yeah. a really good camaraderie and, you know, like teamwork and like if one person shoots a buck you know it's like everybody had a part in that and it's like a celebration in itself like mm-hmm. we do deer drives in vermont i i killed my uh my first deer i ever killed in vermont was off a of deer drive it happens up here too and like you said yeah people can be like oh it doesn't take much skill but it all comes down to what you want to get out of it and mm-hmm. and what you're willing to do but yeah it's, it's it's part of it it's definitely a lot of camaraderie yeah for sure and generally how we talked about like when you talk to we were talking bow hunting and stuff. It's like, yeah, I killed this deer. It's like, nice. Yeah. Then you talk uh-huh. to uh, some gun hunters that uh, go out to the party. It's like, how'd you guys do this weekend? You know, it's opening after opening weekend. Like, how'd you guys do? And like, oh yeah, we, we killed, you know, 12 deer. We killed, you know, yeah. six, six bucks and freaking six does. It's like, oh sweet. Yeah. It was a good weekend then, you know, but it's never, yeah. it's really rarely ever like, well, I killed this one deer. It's like, well, we, mm-hmm. we all killed like 15 deer. So it was sweet you know that's badass yeah, yeah. memories you won't forget right there yeah yeah it's, it's just so cool it's just so different and like i said i don't know if if uh if iowa outlawed deer drives tomorrow i wouldn't cry about it but at the same mm-hmm. time like it would be it's kind of sad it'd be kind of sad to see that go away yeah because i see orange army tradition yeah like i i love bohun and i love having like you know, a bunch of deer to myself. And I do get nervous during gun season. Like, oh man, they're going to go through there and hopefully they don't fucking kill everything and yada, yada, yada. But it's like seeing everyone going out there and participating and having a good time. And like, I would never want to be the one to take that away from people. You know, I would never want to be the, the DNR officer or the, you know, government official. That's like, this is my thing. I'm going to eliminate deer drives from in Iowa. It's like, ugh. Is there a push for that in Iowa legislature to ban deer drives? Is that thing going no, on or no? No, 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 not at all. It's good, but uh, I just hear a lot of people talking about it, like fucking deer drives. Like I want that. If I could get rid of it, I would. And it's like, eh, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't just because it is such a tradition for people, and it's a really good way to get kids out and like younger people out and newer mm-hmm. hunters because it's like, yeah, it's just it keeps them going, keeps them active, and keeps them moving around and. They're not just sitting in a tree stand sucking ass and, you know, not seeing shit for hours on end, you know? So there's a lot of action there with it too. Yeah. It's hard to take a kid out and be like, Hey, sit, sit in this tree and, um, you know, don't move for the next six hours. Oh, and by the way, it's cold as fuck. So don't do that. Don't do anything. Just sit there and wait. And if a deer comes by, cool. If it doesn't, you're then that sucks but you know yeah. <laughs> like it's hard to keep them motivated to just sit there and not do shit for hours on end so yeah and especially nowadays too with how everything is instantaneous for entertainment now you know kids get tiktok instagram all that stuff you know if you got a shot oh, yeah. of dopamine in six seconds watching a video then you try to get a, a kid to sit in a tree stand for four hours and not see a deer it can uh, see why they lose interest that way oh That's yeah for sure 100 percent. it's uh that instant gratification is it's very yeah much more prevalent than when I'm sure we were kids. I don't know how old are you. I'm you 26. Don't mind me asking. Okay, 26. So yeah, yeah, I mean, when you were a kid, it wasn't near as oh no, yeah, we were out in the woods all day during the summer, just yeah. making forts and stuff. We didn't have any. I shit, I didn't have a phone until I was probably 
13, I think. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but nowadays, everybody, every kid's got a phone. But yeah, that's about, uh, about the same age I got mine. But it still didn't have like it wasn't a smartphone. It wasn't an iPhone no, no. 13. It was a fucking a little flipper. Yeah. You're right. I had a Nokia brick for a while. I could play Snake. Oh, yeah. That was pretty sick. But Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you weren't, you weren't sitting on your phone or your tree stand either, just waiting the day no. away when you had a phone back then. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. But, no, Crazy. It's, 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 it, it, it's all good. Like, honestly, I, I, I don't like poo-pooing on anyone for any way that they, they like to hunt because mm-hmm. if that's the way they like to do it and it's legal, then I'm not going to sit there and be like, that sucks. And you suck for yeah. liking it. The only thing oh, – yeah. I lied. The only way I – say that is during if you're advocating for like air bows during archery season yeah then, that's, yeah that's a whole different you're barking up a whole different tree yeah. there that's a yeah i'll poo poo on you for that yeah. stuff like that is but, that is that a thing out there no air bows are they no i was saying that's no. good because i that's just you might as well just you give them a gun at that rate it that's what it is it's a it is a it's all it gun, is yeah you know? it but, is yeah yeah i don't know it's uh iowa i think iowa laws are pretty pretty decent where if you want a crossbow hunt you have to you have to be disabled um mm. if you want you know otherwise during archery season it's all it's vertical bo- vertical bows or nothing yeah so that's that's a recent change i did in vermont too because uh up until i think it was about three four years ago is same way you couldn't get a crossbow unless you were uh disabled or over 60 or 55 or 60 somewhere in there mm. um and just three years ago they opened it up to anybody can use a crossbow now yeah. and i'm not the biggest fan of that um you get a lot of guys that are taking shots with crossbows that they wouldn't with a regular bow there's more deer wounded running around and stuff and that doesn't really create a good image for anybody especially you get you know some uh somebody in somebody's backyard where a wounded deer ends up and they take pictures of it with an arrow hanging out of it. That doesn't look good. That's not good. Um, and there's, you know, there's a lot more blood tracking dogs up here now because of that. And you mm. know, those guys are flat out during both season up here. So I'm not the biggest fan of letting everybody use a crossbow. Cause I think it gets abused. And I think you kind of leads people into doing stuff they wouldn't do and kind of being more reckless with their shots. Um, but I'd like to see it go back to, you know, being disabled or even put like, uh, you know, if you're 50 or over, you can use one and like maybe letting kids up to like 15 or 16, if they're just getting into it, let them use a crossbow, you know, to create interest and get them hooked on it. But that middle age range, that's just my opinion. I'm not shitting on anybody yeah. if you do it, but that's just how I feel about it. Uh, right. I just don't like the negative effects of it. No, I'm, I'm hundred percent agreeance on that. Honestly, I'm not, I'm just not a huge fan of crossbows in general. I feel like, they do treat them like I shouldn't say they all that's generalizing too much. Um, yeah, a lot. It, it opens up that door for people to treat a crossbow like a gun where it's like, yeah, I'll dust her off, you know, day before season, shoot a couple groups at 50 yards. And if she's tight, then I, I'm, I know I'm good out to, you know, a hundred. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, you hit the nail on the head with that. Yeah. yeah. That's not, that's not how it should be in my opinion, no. but, uh, that's just me. It's yep. just, you know, leaves a lot of room for, for air and in bad shots, but yeah. right, and I don't do that with my guns either. Like I, I'm a huge advocate for. Well, I mean, I run a gun podcast too, so I, you know, even if I wasn't, I'd have to say I was. But I, I'm just a huge advocate for if you're going to go hunting, you should be proficient, very proficient with whatever weapon you're using, whether it's a gun, absolutely, a crossbow, uh, you know, compound bow or whatever it is. You need to be mm-hmm. proficient in whatever you're using. That and that requires at least a decent amount of time throughout the year to get you know 
familiar with whatever weapon you're using and mm-hmm. you know with guns and stuff especially it's like i know guys that you know do do that where they you know my dad well my dad was one of them he fucking bought me my shotgun and he bought me two boxes of slugs and he was like all right you know here's 20 slugs that should last you 20 <laughs> years you know so yeah you know it's like i'm not like that because i like to shoot and i like to be very prof- as proficient as i possibly can with whatever weapon i'm using and yep. you know that requires shooting whatever you you have and, i agree and that does bring me to uh, actually another question i had what do you guys use up there are you guys just rocking like remington 7600s and shit all up there <laughs> yeah what? yeah um so that's kind of like if you look at the northeast a lot of people that hunt especially like videos you see remington 7600 is definitely the go-to gun you know especially the carbine cut down short light a lot of guys mm-hmm. love that. It's kind of the staple, and you know that kind of got big with the the Benoit's as well, because you know that's what Larry Benoit was using. And I mean, it's a great gun. You can throw some lead down range, and typically up here, you're not shooting more than, you know, I'd say my average shot of all the deer I've killed tracking, the average distance a shot would probably be forty five yards. I would say is average. That's usually oh, what seriously? you're. Yeah, it's. I mean, tracking everything's so thick up here and in close range, and you know you catch them in their bed and. It typically ends up being close. You know, I've shot deer. The farthest I've ever shot a deer, um, I was sitting. I shot a deer at 2.30. You know, I was just sitting on a farm field. That was a long time ago. Um, but in actual mountain hunting and tracking up here, you're usually killing a deer anywhere from uh, as close as 10 yards to, uh, you know, 80 yards as they're barreling out through some hardwoods or something. Um, so the 7600 is good for that. And, you know, a lot of guys run 870s up here, so it kind of just translates into – into the rifle version of that and throw some mm-hmm. lead at some bucks as they're taking off down a mountainside and it works good. Uh, BARs are kind of starting to make a, a push up here. See more guys using a BAR with uh, um, not the detachable box mag there, the one that's kind of flush to the bottom. Oh, okay. Um, just for, cause you can only have uh, four plus one up here for uh, carrying rounds. Oh, that's um, the state limits you on that. Yep, yeah, you oh, can okay. have four, four in the four in the mag and one in the gun. Um, in fucking for, I, now we you know, can rock right. a thirty round magazine if you wanted to. Holy shit for deer! <laughs> yeah. Oh no, kidding. Yeah. Yeah, no, you can only have five, as far as I know. It's everybody. Yeah, it's all you can have is is four plus one. Um, you know, for like smaller calibers, I think you can have more. But okay, for your typical deer guns, you're rocking four plus one, and uh, people like those BARs. You can throw some lead with them. Those are light, especially the new composite ones. Um, still a lot of bolt actions people use up here. You know, a lot of like M77 Rugers, uh, you know, Model 7 Remingtons, that type of stuff. Uh, what is it? Browning? Is it X-Bolt? A-Bolt? X-Bolt? Yeah. Something it, like that. Yeah. Both. They're, yeah. The X-Bolt's like the newer, I guess, line yep. from Browning. And they're, they're pretty fucking nice, but... Yeah, those are sweet, smooth yeah. guns. I've held one before. But, yeah, no, this kind of it's a good mix of guns up here. Um, but I would say, like, if you're thinking northeast deer hunting, like, the first gun that comes to your mind is definitely the 7600 carbine. Just a good yeah. carrying gun. Weighs, like, six pounds. And carry that thing all day. And if you happen to catch a buck, you can throw some lead at it. And, like, me, I, uh, I have a bare ground gun and I have a tracking gun. So if you're watching videos and stuff from the Northeast uh, and you look around, you probably see a lot of guys wearing their green and black checkered wool with a 7,600 carbine with a peep sight on it. And yep. that's kind of uh, a staple up here. And for that peep sight, you can shoot fast, you know, you can get your target pretty quick and throw some lead at it. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you're tracking, you got snow flying off the trees or you're in a blizzard, you're not wiping your scopes every, you know, 30 seconds. And even when you have scope caps on, on those real snowy days, you get fog and, 
constantly having to wipe and deal with it. So that's why a lot of guys you see up here using peep sites that are, are big woods hunting. Um, but for sense. me, for my, for my bare ground gun, I have a Remington model seven bolt. Uh, it was actually my grandpa's gun. It's a real nice light gun. I have a scope on that. Um, and if it's bare ground and there's not rain or anything, I like to have that scope instead of carrying binos. It just makes everything smoother, pop up. And typically when you see a deer up here, you got about a six second window. I would say at, at best to get a shot at it, even <laughs> if it's at distance, you know, they're, they're tuned in up here. They hear you coming, they smell you. Um, so you kind of got to make shit happen fast. And on bare ground days, especially when it's harder to pick out the deer because they're mm. blending in more, um, that scope is definitely key for me, but. I know some guys like to use a peep even on, on bare ground, but I like to have a scope for when it's dry and get up and get on them quick. And uh, for tracking, definitely like that peep sight. just makes it my, me shooting with a peep sight versus a scope so much quicker. And I can throw lead a lot faster and keep it clean, not to worry about it. The, the most you got to do with it is just blow your peep sight out if you get some snow in there, and then you're good to go again. But yeah, yeah. they're effective. That's the reason they're sticking around. They've been around for a while. And I don't, uh, I don't see them going away anytime soon. You know, uh, people are scooping up old cause Remington's not making the 7,600 right now. They've been out of commissions ever since they got, went bankrupt. I don't know, probably five, six years ago. So they are yeah. not in production anymore. Um, so shit, 7,600s nowadays are going for upwards, uh, 15 to 1800 and even up into $2,000. Oh God, it's crazy up here. Like if you, get on uh you know facebook groups up here and someone says oh i saw a 7600 at you know so-and-so gun shop that thing's gone in the day and they paid 1600 bucks for it no for shit 19 1980s 7600 it's just yeah the demand for them is crazy i fucking okay well now i gotta go to my gun shop because i was at my local gun shop not too long ago and there's a remington 7600 there uh that he was selling for is used is an older older gun is a 30 out mm-hmm. six and i think he was selling it for like 800 bucks oh, shit dude go scoop that thing up and no uh, shit and i'll shit. fucking mail it to <laughs> you like, hey man you want to buy this for uh, you know i'll give you a good deal i'll get sell it to you for like fucking thousand dollars you can sell it up there for 1800 <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah it's crazy and uh yeah not going away anytime soon i mean yeah people are paying outrageous money for them but it's just a staple up here everybody likes them it's a good gun so you can't blame them i guess i mean yeah. if i every once in a while you'll find a deal on one or like what I heard, I don't know if this is true or not. Like a lot of these gun shops, because a lot of those uh, western states and midwestern states are going to like a straight wall cartridge. Yep. So people Iowa. are unloading. Iowa is one of them. Yep. Iowa is one of them. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. So I guess people are like unloading. You know, the people up here, the gun shop owners know that the people out there are unloading their, uh, you know, seventy six hundreds and uh, walled cartridges uh, or net cartridges, uh, getting rid of them. So they're going out west buying a bunch going around checking gun stores out buying them up scooping them up and they come back here and triple their money on them so i guess mm. that's what they're doing that's what i heard i don't know if that's 100 percent true but that's no, the it makes sense it makes sense Pretty crazy. yeah uh so iowa they they went to straight wall cartridges uh a while back i want to say it was like maybe four or five years ago i guess when they went yep. to the straight walls but then they recently, I think the last, I think just a couple of years ago, they switched, they just changed it. I don't know if there's, because there's a lot of confusion or what it was, but, uh, I don't, like what a straight wall actually entailed. Cause I guess like the 4570 yeah. is, I don't know if it was actually, no, I don't think it's 4570. There, there was a cartridge that was, I think it might've been the 4570 where it's not technically a straight wall is like a tapered wall. Yeah. So, um, but that got grandfathered in. I don't know if there's like a, uh, I don't know if there's confusion or what, but 
anyways, so Iowa changes to just being like, okay, it's basically any center fire rifle as long as it's 35 caliber to like 50. Mm-hmm. So like 35 Whalen. That's, um, I, I've heard some people talk about that and that's, that's actually a big reason why I got my, uh, yeah. I got, I, I bought a Ruger M77 Hawkeye and 30 out six, not too long mm-hmm. ago. And I'm going to use it as a 30 out six for a while, but I do plan on rebarreling that to 35 Whalen. So, mm-hmm. so I can use it here. And so you can, you can use a 35 Whalen out there. Cause that's a, yep. that's a relatively big cartridge up here. Cause one of those last runs that Remington did up here for the 7600s was that 35 Whalen. Oh, really? um, and that's kind of pretty popular up here. Yeah. As well. Okay. I mean, it shoots pretty similar to the 30 out six and, uh, People seem to be liking it here. It's got more knockdown power as far as because of what that's like a 220 grain. Is that what that typically is? The yep. average load for that or 200? Yeah, 200 yeah. to 220 is like very typical. I think they can go all the way up to like into the almost almost 300, I think, is what you can get. But it, that's for like, you know, big like African animals and shit. Yeah. You know, uh, but I think it does go down. I think it's like 180 grains is generally like the, the on the light side. And I know that's mm-hmm. like the on the heavier side for thirty out six. Yeah. But yeah, like ballistically, thirty five Whalen and thirty out six are very, very similar. Um it's just a I mean, it's just a thirty five Whalen is just a necked up thirty out six and I think exactly. they sh- they shoot very similarly, um, all the way out to about, you know, two hundred ish or so. They shoot very similar. Mm-hmm. And then the thirty five Whalen starts dropping off pretty good after that. But yeah, I think the the Wayland's good. You know, it's a good cartridge, good solid cartridge out to about three hundred, and then after that, you really got to start thinking twice before you take a shot. I think, yeah, just because it's such a big projectile, and yeah, you're generally using the same power loads as like a thirty out six. But I think mm-hmm. actually the thirty five Wayland is one of the only like necked up cartridges that they started like Wildcat and kind of messing around with, and uh, I think it actually picks up um, feet per second out to like a hundred or something that actually gets a, a little bit quicker than a 30 out six. And then it starts slowing really? pretty drastically. Yeah. Okay. I remember, right, I remember reading about something like that or they're doing like a comparison and stuff and like, yeah, actually it's this. I'm like, that's fucking kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. But, that's funny. Cause like out there you shoot more for distance and stuff, but here you're just looking for, you know, a round that can pop through brush better essentially. So right, <laughs> not yeah. many people are using a six, five Creed more up here. Cause like people are shooting 30 out sixes because it can blow through a, you know, a one inch sapling and hit the deer on the other side of it. It comes to <laughs> like a 35 whale. And, um, and you know, some of those, uh, you know, no neck cartridges there, like a uh, 450 Bushmaster and stuff, those will plow right through some brush. So there's some guys oh, up yeah. here starting to use those, uh, you know, those, uh, was it 350, 350 legend. Yep. Yep. Is that one. Yep. yep. So there's some more guys starting to use those up here, but, yeah, a lot of stuff up here just for brush because, you know, it's fir trees, it's spruce trees and stuff versus out there, I guess you are shooting more distances. But yeah. this, I got a question for you, actually. Um, being, you know, you're in Iowa and you see all, you know, the the straight wall cartridges and stuff. With the ballistics being so good on those straight walls now, is there really any difference as far as, like, safety-wise that you guys are doing the straight walls versus the neck cartridges? Because everything seems to be shooting mm-hmm. so flat and so good now. The ballistics are so good. Do you think it really does that much? No, I don't think so. I, I think general, generally when you're talking straight walls, you're uh, just you're, you're getting a lot more accuracy. Like when you're comparing like a 450 Bushmaster or a 350 Legend, when you're comparing that to the, you know, a Mossberg 500 slug gun, you're mm-hmm. talking way tighter groups. You can shoot. I, I have a 
Ruger American uh, kind of ranch. I think it's, I don't know. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's a Ruger American, and it's a short, as a shorter um, barrel length and stuff. Goddamn fucking fly! Sorry, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's shorter. It's shorter barrel length, but it's uh, 450 Bushmaster, and that thing is actually is like I shot little over one one MOA groups with that thing, mm-hmm. and with your slug gun, like I don't know. I'm pretty happy with my slug gun shooting. You know two three inch groups at 100 at 100 yeah, yards yeah. like hell yeah nice but uh yeah, that's gonna work the straight wall cartridges you can your accuracy is the big reason the big benefit of switching to a straight wall is the accuracy and yes you can push yeah. like a three, 350 legend out there a little ways you can stretch a 450 out there a decent ways but i'm you're still talking 250 maybe 300 yards with those guns yeah. like effectively so they're really not you're not adding a whole, a whole hell of a lot of range is just yeah. shrinking your groups up a lot more so you're way more accurate so yeah. i think that's better for everyone it's better for the deer and it's better for you know us as hunters mm-hmm. so i would i would love to see i would just go to just being like center fires is are legal like i'd love to see yeah. that personally because that's what mm-hmm. they do and they do that in wisconsin and stuff and out where you're at and whatnot and they're fine i grant i get like out where you're at mountains and huge vast yeah. lands and it's not you're not hunting on top of each other as much as we are here, but Wisconsin, mm-hmm. the, their hunting is very similar to Iowa and mm-hmm. they're able to use whatever the fuck they want. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, those Wisconsin deer hunt videos crack me up. Wisconsin and oh, like yeah. the upper peninsula of Michigan and shit, just the culture out there and how people do it. And like you said, you get the rifle and deer camp and all that stuff still alive up there, which is kind of similar to what it is over here, but you get the deer and the similar type of landscape that it is Midwest. It's kind of, it's just cool. It's unique up there. I like watching those videos. Yeah, it's cool. It's just a totally different, uh, yeah, culture. Like Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. the the hunting, that's a nice way of saying it. Like the hunting culture is very strong there. And the same with Michigan stuff. Like the hunting culture is so strong in that area. And it is cool Mm -hmm. to see, but that's a, a nice way of saying like deer, the, Deer quality comes second, and like, going out with your boys and having a good time is number one priority. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, you know? No, and they, they still shoot some crankers up there, too. Shit, oh, yeah. doesn't Wisconsin have the most booners out of any state? Yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. I, I don't know how those deer survived that first weekend up there. <laughs> you watch videos, and it's like fucking gunshots going off in every direction, and there's still deer running around everywhere. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. I think it's just because there's just so many of them. <laughs> yeah. They have a really large deer population, and it's over-the-counter for non-residents out there. And I think mm-hmm. if you go hunt Wisconsin, you, your first year's license is basically resident cost. Mm-hmm. So that's, I don't know, that's kind of cool too, but that they, is cool. they, yeah. have, they have a shit ton of deer in Wisconsin and, um, yeah, they're, they're very liberal with their tags and people just love to shoot shit over there. And it, oh yeah. <laughs> There's no discrimination on rack over there. It doesn't no. look like, no, but Hey, yeah, you, you'll see somebody shoot a spike corn and then, then the same two minutes later, you'll see a 150 inch rack buck running across yep. a swale bog and they're dusting that just as quick as they're dusting the spike <laughs> corn off. So it's pretty yep. funny. Yeah, it is. It's pretty uh, wild out there, honestly. It's cool, yeah. though. It's, I get it. It's so cool how, like, the just the different cultures of deer hunting in the U.S. just by, you know, not that much land mass, how it's just it's different, but everybody, you know, comes back to love, just love the hunt stuff. It's just cool to see how everybody's so different. It really is. That's what one thing that made me really excited about having you on and stuff. It's because I've never, 
I think you're the first person from the Northeast, like hunting wise, I've actually had a conversation with. And it's really cool to hear like how it is up there and what mm-hmm. it's like and all that stuff because it's, it is, like you said, so much different state to state, even from mm-hmm. like how you hunt in Iowa to how you hunt in Kansas. Like Kansas ain't mm-hmm. that far away, but the hunting styles and stuff are so much different. Yeah. So it's cool. Yeah. But, yeah, Definitely. honestly, like listening to your guys' podcast and stuff is like I, I've been listening for a little while now. Um, so ever since um, I got it got recommended to me, I was like, "Damn, this is pretty. This is pretty cool." I think I don't know <laughs> if there's are there any other podcasts from the Northeast area that you know of. Yeah, so there's a few, and okay. there's more popping up. Uh, so there's us, uh, Big Woods Bucks, so like Cow Blood and them. They have a podcast. Uh, oh, they do. Group is. Okay. Yep, they have a podcast, a uh, very popular one up here. Uh, Northwoods Whitetails is a, a new one up here. Uh, they kind of do similar stuff to us in, in Big Woods Bucks as far as tracking and, and having guests on and stuff. Um, cool. There's a couple other smaller ones. Um, but, yeah, it's, I'd say it's starting to, to pop up, and there's more and more interest in Northeast hunting, so there's more podcasts popping up. But yeah. not to the extent and numbers of, you know, Midwest hunting podcasts like you guys have out there, I'd say. But we just have a smaller community, you know, just a smaller hunting community up here. And a lot of the dudes that are putting their wool on and going and chasing bucks are, you know, 50, 60 years old, and they don't have any interest in starting a podcast. Oh, yeah. So if I don't I, even uh, know what the fuck that is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A what? Yeah. Definitely. Internet radio? What? That doesn't, yeah, make, Greg, that doesn't uh, make any sense. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Greg uh my co host there on the podcast, he was at uh he went took his main guide course this weekend. You have to take a course, become a registered main guide and stuff. Um and the guy teaching the class is like, Oh, I've never even heard of it. He just got to talk in and I guess like a few people uh at the class recognized Greg from the podcast and stuff and the guy that was teaching the class was like a seven year old dude and he had no idea what a podcast was. And, <laughs> you know, it's just it's cool. That's awesome. Sure. I, I like talking to Kurt about that too, because uh, Kurt and Eric they started working class bow hunter all the mm-hmm. way back in like 2015, and mm-hmm. I think I don't know if there was any hunting podcasts then. And he was talking about um, going out to like trade shows and shit and setting up a booth, and people are like, "Working class bow hunter, what? What is this? Like, what are you guys trying to <laughs> what the sell? Hell is a podcast? Yeah, like, what are you guys trying to sell? Like, well, we're not selling anything. Actually, we're just here to talk to people. Like, what? You just yeah, talk. You just talking to. This is what I this doesn't make any sense. You know, like, like <laughs> yeah. they spent more time just explaining what a podcast is rather than like talking hunting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've had that feel. I've talked to old guys. I'm like, what the hell is a podcast? I'm like, well, think about it. It's like radio, but it's on demand. You go on your phone and it's there for you. That's the way, yeah. best way I can explain it. But it's yeah. crazy how much podcasts have boomed in the last five years. I mean, I'm part of that boom of getting into it and wanting to start something. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a podcast for everything and there's the amount of information that gets, that's what I tell people that want to learn tracking stuff. The amount of information that's being put out there right now on podcasts is the absolute best way to um, do it and learn it. I would say obviously outside of just going out there and doing it yourself. But if you want to, you know, uh, make the learning curve a little faster, uh, definitely listen to some podcasts about tracking deer and that's the best way to do it. I think. Oh, for sure. I think it's uh, especially, especially like long form conversations, like what we're doing and stuff. I think that's where you really get into some the meat and potatoes of things. Like I, I listen to quite a few podcasts that are, you know, they're your typical like 20, 30 minutes long and stuff. And that's good. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. That's great. And especially on the gun side, like there's a lot of gun podcasts that they sit down and they're like, all right. And I, I might start doing this a little bit on the side too, just for fun, but I'm more to come on that later, I guess. But, uh, just like sitting down and talking to the 30 out of six, 
It's, you know, <laughs> blah, 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 ballistics, and it can shoot, you know, 2,600 with a 180-grain uh, swift A-frame. It's rocking about 2,800 feet per second on the muzzle, and it's like, it's giving you all these stats on all these bullet and bullets and yeah. cartridges and stuff. And like, if you want to load it with this, then you do that, and here's the load data for this and that. And like, that's great <laughs> to listen to when I'm in the mood to get lectured, but, yeah. you know, like, in the gun in the gun world, there's like the gun hunting type of world. It doesn't seem yep. like there's a whole lot of people doing like what we're doing right now. So yeah. you no, find I your you. you find your little niche and stuff, and you kind of stick to it and see what happens, kind of deal. But it is it yeah. is fun. Like I just I love talking to new people and having new people on and getting to know them and figuring like, kind of mm-hmm. picking their brand on how they like to do things and stuff. I think there's a lot of benefit to that. Yeah, hearing the real world experiences is definitely how you apply it to you know everyday people. I would agree with you on that for sure. And that's how like hunting shows were kind of supposed to be and mm-hmm. it just kind of got it, a lot of hunting shows have got kind of gotten to the point where it's like well i don't know when you have commercial breaks on the outdoor channel for you know the channel itself you have all these commercial breaks and then in between commercial breaks about you know a quarter of the episodes eaten up by you know show sponsors and then it's yeah. like now we got to get like two or three deer dying on camera and it's like that's about it yeah, you know, it's like ah, I got in the tree, mm-hmm. shot a one eighty, real nice. Yep. Stay yeah. tuned for next yeah. next week. We'll do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't get that with hunting shows up here. I mean, like the Benoit videos were kind of the they're still kind of like the gold standard of you know hunting videos up here with YouTube. There's more and more people getting into it, but I mean, a lot of content you see up here is just people going out in the woods. And if you see a deer on camera, that's cool. And if you get a buck on camera, like if you get one buck a year up here and you get it on film and you're really doing something as far as that goes. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's cool. But yeah. Um, Cause the Benoit's I, when they put out their videos, it was like, like uh multiple DVD format, wasn't it? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So they ended up doing, it was five, uh, five DVDs they did in total. Um, and yeah, DVD form and, and all the way through, and I think they usually kill, I don't know, three, four bucks for a DVD. And, you know, mm-hmm. it was like a father, it's father and three sons. Um, and then they have some like friends and stuff with them. But I'd say there's about average, like three, four or five bucks killed per DVD, which is awesome. Yeah, um, and nobody's really done that. Nobody's really done that, you know, with a cameraman since then, as far as Northeast hunting goes, there's more and more self film stuff now. Um, like we did over the shoulder uh, filming this year and you know jeff doyle i don't know if you ever watch any of his videos on youtube he's a, a northeast buck tracker he kind of put self-filming on the map as far as that over the shoulder view goes up here um, but there's yeah. more and more content groups kicking up that are you know doing the over shoulder and doing some cameraman work and it's uh there's definitely a lot more demand for northeast content right now it's crazy like we can't make enough content right now yeah um, honestly there it, it makes a lot of sense because it's super entertaining. Like it's super interesting yeah. the way you do out there. It's such a small like niche area, and yeah, there's mm-hmm. a lot of hunters and stuff, but there's just not a lot of content coming from that area. Exactly. So it's really cool to see all that stuff, um, whether it's on YouTube or whatever, you know. But there's yeah. so much content coming from fucking Iowa and Illinois. Oh yeah, and all that stuff. Yeah, there's you know? no shortage of that. No, yeah. there's plenty of that shit. There's plenty of uh, there's plenty of sitting over a food plot and shooting a deer and don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I love that, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of that stuff out there. So the, yep. nor- the Northeast buck tracking type stuff is, um, it's interesting because there's just not a lot on it besides the Benoit's and, um, you know, how blood and who- you said Jeff Doyle. 
Yeah, Jeff Doyle. He's yeah. a, he's a, has a YouTube channel. I think he's got, I don't know, 15, 20,000 subscribers, but he's got some great videos. Yeah. Um, we just did our videos this year and there's more and more popping up and more demand for it. Um, I think like most of the viewers and stuff we have on our videos and subscribers and stuff, people from out of state that are seeing this and like, holy shit, this is cool. This is so different. You know, it's unique and, and different from that, you know, Western hunting, like what you're doing or like Midwest hunting, just something mm-hmm. fresh. It's a fresh look that it's uh, just starting to emerge as far as like everyday consumable content goes with podcasts and videos and stuff. And I see it growing like crazy even more. I mean, just the amount of more young people getting into it ever since this content push and, and all these groups started popping up. It's, it's huge, which is good for, you know, it's good for the culture up here. It's good for the States as far as revenue and stuff goes. And hopefully, I mean, it's, it's good for the gear business too. Yeah, you know, that's kind of why we started it with the growing demand and just wanted to, to be that, that company, you know? Yeah. You're in a good, good position right now, which is great. And I can see all that stuff, you know, not just staying Northeast, you know, there's a pretty high demand for high quality gear and there's a lot of people kind of, I shouldn't say getting sick of like sick gun stuff, but at the same time, like just having that old school, like traditional look, I guess is pretty yeah. neat, especially when you're hunting with guns and stuff. I, oh, I, yeah. I still hunt with a flannel when I have a gun in my hand just cause I'm like, that's just the fucking way to do it. You know, <laughs> don't, don't you feel dangerous when you throw some, uh, some checkered wool on or oh, yeah. you, feel, you put a, put a gun in your hand, you feel dangerous, don't you? Oh yeah. Dude. <laughs> you feel after, like it's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Especially after the uh, hard archery season or something like that, you're like, all right. And then you put the flannel on and someone's like, I'm putting on my freaking superhero <laughs> costume. Like something's going to die today. You know, this is, oh, yeah. I feel something's good about down. it. Yeah. feel yeah. real good. Every about time it. I slip my wool jacket on and, and grab my pump gun, I'm like, something's going down today. I feel good. You know, yeah. just being out there and enjoying it for yep. sure. No, it's awesome. No, and I think you guys are doing a great job at StaggerCast and stuff. You guys, I guess I've listened to you for a little while, and it's, you know, you guys are doing some good stuff. And I really, thank you. Really like listening to it. So, well, yeah. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you wanted to plug in here? We're getting about a little over an hour, yeah. hour and a half, and I don't um, want to take your whole your whole night away from you. Yeah, if you want to check out our podcast as well, uh, just StaggerCast. You can get it on, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Uh, if you want to check out our YouTube video, we got some really good content on there. Some, like I said, we got Greg's uh, buck on there, whole video to see all that kill on camera, everything. That was the biggest buck, biggest typical kill in New Hampshire last year. Uh, my video last year, uh, tracking, big old Vermont buck, tracked him for, well, I didn't track him for 17 miles, but 17 miles on the day that day. So if you want to see some true big woods hunting, uh, check us out, you know, check out some other Northeast based channels. Um, if you want to shop some traditional, you know, wool gear, that's, that's built right and affordable. Check us out. Staggergear.com. That's S T A G R gear.com and pick out some wool, you know, even if you're out Midwest, do it up. Oh yeah. Um, actually one more quick question. If you got time, yeah. uh, where did stagger come from? So, yeah. So, uh, the name stagger comes from when you're tracking a big buck. So the big bucks appear, they have a wide mm-hmm. chest on them. And the space between the tracks, you know, left to right, typically dictates like, hey, I'm on a big buck here. If he's wide, you know, the track's wide and he's dragging his feet, you know, you have the stagger between the tracks. So that's kind of like the staple. You see a buck with uh, a stagger in his track, that's the one you want to follow. So that's kind of that's kind of what we attach the name to. And, you know, it kind of embodies everything we're about up here. So that's, that's where it comes from. That's awesome. Um, okay, so second question to that. Um, why S T S T A G R rather than S T A G G E R? Just, uh, you know, make a little, little bit of wordplay on it. Just okay. Something sharp, cool. concise, and, you know, 
just just branding marketing you know yeah it's cool no, something I, different. I like it I, I i really do like it i kind of figured that was where it came from like some sort of deer reference yeah. and stuff but no that's good that's cool man well hey i appreciate you coming on again man um and you know good luck out there this year and if you ever want to come back on you know let me know yeah absolutely it's been, it's been great yeah. i really appreciate talking to you it's been fun no thanks for having me on this is the first uh podcast i've done where i'm the guest so this is a new experience for me and had a great oh. time doing it and have to come back on whenever you want me so nice definitely awesome. we'll do it up cool yeah man well i appreciate it all right everyone uh go ahead and check out stagger where it sounds like they're pretty much everywhere so just check them out <laughs> <laughs> and hope you guys enjoyed it all right see ya thank you